0: Hey, what's going on? This is the starting on South podcast. I am Conor O'Gara. Well, you know, it's about time Georgia added some five-star talent.
1: Come on, Georgia. Kirby. Yeah. Finally getting it together in that recruiting department.
0: Yeah. Good. Good for the dogs, man. They they need it. Uh, One of those things that, you know, has just been lacking throughout so much mm-hmm. of the Kirby Smart era is that five-star talent. Dylan Royola, number one recruit in the 2024 class. He commits to Kirby Smart. Instead of Nebraska, USC. His dad played at Nebraska. I think some people were looking at him like,
1: wow, would he ever go
0: to Nebraska? Your dad's a legend there, a little bit different. They roll out the red carpet in a different sort of way. But yes, not necessarily a surprise to see that happen. If Raiola does sign with Georgia, which remember that's, what, seven months from now? This is a guy who's been to three different high schools, so we shouldn't necessarily assume anything. Um, But if he does end up signing with Georgia, he will join the likes of Jacob Eason, Justin Fields, Brock Vandegrift, and JT Daniels, if we're including transfers, as former five-star quarterbacks who signed to play for Kirby Smart at Georgia. Because Jake Fromm just kind of missed out being that five-star guy. Stetson Bennett just missed out on being a three-star guy. Um, Yeah, sorry, I had to go there.
1: Also hey, crew-time national champion. That's what the Georgia fans are saying right now. We don't need stars. Hey, he had a five-star heart. He had the heart that Butch Jones was talking about, actually.
0: Mm, we want we to bring up five-star hearts. Maybe a little too soon for that. I don't know. I don't know. Crazy to think about Jacob East and Justin Fields, Brock Vandegrift, JT Daniels. Those guys, five-star guys. They played a combined. I shouldn't say played. They started a combined 20 games at Georgia. That's it. That's it less than two seasons. If we're not including JT Daniels, the last time a homegrown five-star quarterback started a game for Georgia was when Jacob Easton started the 2017 opener. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a minute, been a minute. This is why Kirby didn't have to panic with not signing a 2023 quarterback. They're pretty late in the Arch Manning sweepstakes. Probably could just sit back and be like, okay, we could still end up with Dylan Rayola in the 2024 class Everything will work out. And sure enough, looks like it's working out pretty well for the Georgia quarterback room. Love the fact that people are already like, this guy's going to be better than Arch. (laughs) Neither
1: of them have played anything
0: in college. Like, oh, yeah, this guy's actually better than Arch. It's going to work out. I love that. This thing could have more twists and turns, but for now, it looks like he is going to Georgia and Georgia finally gets some five star talent good for Kirby.
1: Yeah, compared to. Ethereum and Bitcoin over there as far as five-star quarterbacks. Oh, this was more valuable. This was like, we have no idea if any of this is real. Who cares at this point?
0: I think that we should actually have star rankings next to players throughout their college careers. Mm -hmm. Just, Just so that every time that comes up, you're like, because you won't see the five stars as often as you would think, even in mm-hmm. a place like Georgia. But guy does anything like a TFL in a game or something like that. You just see next to his name five star, blah blah blah. Instead mm-hmm. of get, get that hometown crap off there. I don't need to know where you're from. Tell me, just tell me what star you were. Chances are, you know, like we'll probably remember the five stars. But nice to get that reminder every once in a while. We'll probably get a whole lot more reminders that Dylan Rayola is indeed a five star guy. Georgia national championship 2024 when he's a true freshman, maybe some are saying, I don't know. We'll see a lot of talent in that room though. Could be talent leaving that room as well. We will update as needed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: fun pod lined up today, Josh Pate, He's going to join us in a little bit. We talked about the last year of the 14 playoff, his storm chasing team, of course, and a bunch of other things with him. We're also going to talk about breakups and figuring out, but before we do that, well, this year, This week, this week, maybe you're listening to this on Thursday, Thursday, May 18th. If you are, it is the five-star anniversary of Joe Burrow committing to LSU. May 18th, 2018, Joe Burrow makes the somewhat splashy, I shouldn't say splashy, let's call it surprising. He makes the surprising announcement that he is going to LSU and not Cincinnati, where it appeared he was going to end up. It's wild to think that that's what the market was for Joe Burrow. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. We know how this all played out, of course. We're not going to necessarily dig into every single moment of his college career. But that market being essentially two teams and having the very infamous Scott Frost, do you think he's better than what we got moment, wherein he was seriously asking the Nebraska media, do you think Joe Burrow is better than putting all of our time and energy into true freshman Adrian Martinez? All-time bad decision. Just Mm -hmm. all-time bad decision. Consider that a reminder, though, that year, like what Frost did. We've talked about this with Auburn and Hugh Freeze. You got to establish your proof of concept with your offense. Do not confuse patience with the need to roll with a project who isn't ready to run your offense. We know that Ed O'Dron, he decided Joe Burrow's my guy. That's what I'm going after. I thought it'd be fun five years later to look back at the sliding doors of Burrow committing to LSU. Something that we talked about a few weeks ago doing in it. it's May. Why the hell not?
1: All right. Mm-hmm. We can do that. A nice we- little present to me. I love this. I, you told me. We, I, this isn't my idea, guys. He just hit me with this. I was like, I would love to talk about how Joe Burrow changed my life five years ago.
0: Changed many lives as we will find out today. I love sliding doors for those who don't know what I'm talking about. When I say sliding doors, we call it that in sports, it's a little bit of like a bill Simmons thing that he's kind of coined that phrase, call it the butterfly, the butterfly effect, call it. It's a wonderful life. What if scenarios, but essentially we're going to look at what life would have been like for so many others. If burrow had said on may 18, 2018, Hey, I'm going to go to Cincinnati instead of LSU. Which again was extremely realistic. If you go back, you read like Ross Ellinger's story on it, which I did today, go back and read Ed O'Tron's book that he did with Bruce Feldman. That was a realistic possibility. And then that weekend, Little Boiled Crawfish kind of changed everything for Joe Burrow and LSU. Will,
1: do you remember how you reacted when Joe Burrow committed to LSU? So I was actually just thinking about that because, and I'll, I'll kind of pose the question to you after this because you were in the media. Um, but I remember, you know, she was coming from Danny Etling, was a Big Ten transfer um, for, from Purdue. He was fine. You know, I mean, he was a little bit like first year Joe Burrow. Um, but I definitely didn't think it was going to be some like, OK, this guy's going to come in and change the program. I, I really just thought it was going to be the extension of Danny Etling, who was a guy who was a fine quarterback who could run the offense, wasn't going to embarrass you in the way that some of like the, you know, uh, less Miles quarterbacks had, but wasn't really going to change anything. It was probably like mid plus was what we were kind of shooting for. Um, so, I mean, you tell me, was it, I I feel like, you know, at the time it wasn't even that big of news because it was still a competition. Um, like the guys will tell you that he kind of still had to win the job after he committed. So uh, yeah. What, what, what do you remember as a neutral person? Comparatively speaking, I think I was higher on Burrow
0: than the consensus. Okay. I, and, and I went back and I looked at some of my stuff and that was yeah, that was confirmed because I do remember thinking at the time, especially watching a spring game. Yes, it's a spring game, but watching Ohio State spring game and thinking, man, this kid looks like he's ready and not necessarily ready to turn into what he was in 2019, but ready to lead a team. And, and that was just everything that we had heard out of Ohio State. That was when I was clo- covering that team a little bit closer. And you're you're, you're kind of seeing the week to week stuff a little bit more with him. And everybody knows that he got hurt in 2018 that's when it, or t- 2017 rather opens the door for Dwayne Haskins to step in during the Michigan game and just essentially establish himself as the guy going into 2017. So I came into that thinking we should set some realistic expectations. One of them that I set in like the very first column that I wrote about Burrow after he committed to LSU was all right, win the job, win the job and I included in in that uh the Justin McMillan tweet uh which looking back on it is pretty interesting he said uh Justin McMillan who was at LSU at the time was hoping to be the starter mm-hmm. he said quote I love this game too much to be toyed with he tweeted that actually like right before Burrow's official visit to LSU mm-hmm. um the last the last expectation that I put in in this column like five expectations for Joe Burrow at LSU don't be the one to hold LSU back. Simple buddies. as that. Yeah. Well, boy, was he, he was not, yeah, <laughs> he was not in any sort of way, but that was still the conversation. And it's the context that we need to have because we talk about LSU quarterbacks in a much different context now, after the five years that had been, as opposed to what preceded that entire era. And it was, man, they just can't quite get that guy. It's so difficult to just, have that game-changing quarterback and feel like you have unlimited offensive potential and Burrow didn't necessarily give them that all of a sudden, but mm-hmm. it did make it, it, it did looking back, at least make you say, all right, this is a little bit different in terms of the type of guy that they've gone after, because we had more of a sample size with Danny Etling too, mm-hmm. a little bit more of a sample size in there. Cause he had started more games up at, at Purdue, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember the exact numbers, but there's a little bit of this unknown, and trust the guy that's been there developing under Urban Meyer. And that summer, I went to SEC Media Days and I went to Big Ten Media Days, which were back to back. And I asked Urban, as well as a bunch of Ohio State players, about Burrow. What is it, two months after he makes the decision to go from Ohio State to LSU? If you didn't know any better, you would have thought that Burrow left that team as the starter. And I know that's cliche to a certain extent. Everybody talks up, you know, their their quarterback that's been there for a little while. Urban called him a made player. Mm. That that stuck with me. And not just because you only hear that re- reference in Mafia movies, but hearing he's a made a, man, that Joe Burrow. What 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 bad things can happen to you after you've been called a made man, a la Joe Pesci and Goodfellas? <laughs> Nothing bad can happen Never, to you. yeah. You're perfectly fine. But hearing that and all of those comments from Ohio State players, my takeaway that day was, and this is the story I end up writing, was Joe Burrow the one that got away for Ohio State? So thinking that then, we can say with absolute certainty, Joe Burrow did end up being the one that got away. But I think we can also acknowledge Dwayne Haskins was unbelievable for Ohio State in 2018. A one-loss oh, yes. Ohio State team that year. Ohio State got Haskins in 2018. They get Justin Fields in 2019 instead of two years of Burrow. So it's hard to say that like, oh, Ohio State made the wrong call. But at the same time, Joe Burrow delivered arguably the best season in college football history, maybe with the exception of 2010 Cam. So did Ohio State, if it could have played things differently, would they have wanted to keep Joe Burrow? Absolutely. Absolutely. But Ohio State made the best of the situation,
1: all things considered. Yeah, and the thing is, too, like that's like so obvious in retrospect. Like, I'm pretty real about stuff like this. Like, you know, year one of Joe Burrow was like a six out of 10 quarterback, and year two was a 10 out of 10 quarterback. But they got an eight out of 10 quarterback and an eight out of 10 quarterback at Ohio State. And if nah, you, you know, you got more than eight out of 10 quarterback at Ohio State, Dwayne Haskins is a nine out of 10, that 2018,
0: Justin Fields 2019 was a nine out of 10. Maybe we'll close to understand 10 what 10. a 10 is, Connor. A
1: 10 is the best of all time. So if you the best oh, yeah. of all time is a 10. A nine is like a Heisman winner. They don't have any any Heisman winners. So an eight, 8.5 is what they had. They had great, they, you know, very, very good quarterback. But I'm just saying, like, it wasn't like if he was, if Burrow was a 10, if he was the best individual season ever. But before that, he was a six. It averaged out to Ohio State making like a decision that made sense, even in retrospect, because you can't, like, we talked about, Ohio State doesn't have six at quarterback. They have eight and nine, you know? Yeah, I think that's
0: perfectly fair. I, I do. I actually don't want to look at the sliding door of what if he had stayed at Ohio state? Mm. To me, he, his mind was made up. That's not really where this thing gets very interesting. And because of the point that we just mentioned here, Ohio state had really good quarterback play. So I don't know how much it really changes their sort of trajectory as much. And this entire thing came into the fold because he didn't think that he was going to be the starter. I, I, I just think that Haskins would have won that job. Burrow couldn't have known that Haskins was going to be one and done. And even if he did, he wanted to start somewhere in 2018. He was entering year four of his college career. So the first and most obvious thing, most obvious sliding door, if Joe Burrow had picked Cincinnati instead of LSU, I don't think Odran makes it to 2019. I don't. Yeah. I think, I think he's gone. Go back and read those hot seat lists back in 2018. He was on every one of them. There mm-hmm. was not a single hot seat list that you could find that did not have Edward O'Geron on it. Eight and four wasn't going to cut it. It wasn't. Congrats it just, to him on his engagement, by the way. Oh, yes. Yes. Congr- would he have met his fiance? Uh, there you go. Would he still be married?
1: Who Who can say? Yeah.
0: Marla brought this point up on our, on our team call earlier. That rock would not have been as big if he didn't have that buyout. That is for sure. So Joe Burrow might have helped him woo his fiance. Congrats to him on that. But Joe Oliva's unconventional move to hire Ogeron was it it, it was it was going to be seen as kind of an expensive that's not the right way I want to phrase this. It was an inexpensive move to get away from if they wanted to. And so mm-hmm. you could look at this on the surface and say, "Well, dude was only entering his second full season as head coach at LSU. What do you mean he was on the hot seat?" It was different. It was different because he was promoted as the interim guy, and there was this shorter leash with him, and he was very much a, hey, we're in wait-and-see mode with this. It's easy to forget that at that point, heading into 2018, LSU hadn't even appeared in a New Year's Six Bowl in the playoff era. Okay? That is... Different than the expectations we talk about now and what we talk about post even even post 2018 with LSU. So if they had started off six and three that year, just which look, that's not that bad. That's really not. But if they had started off like six and three, I think Odron's gone. I do. And who would have been the LSU starter if Burrow hadn't come in? Because we know Miles Brennan wasn't ready. Clearly, he was still in, I got to put on weight
1: mode. <laughs> who could forget man. that? Him and man. Yeah. Who, who, who? know? yeah. What if that's the other thing? What if Miles Brennan just comes out is the same player from like 2020 where he's actually a pretty good quarterback and he's, <laughs> uh, but I, I'm not going to say that. Like that's probably wasn't going to happen, especially with the old OC too. Post, post weight gain, Miles Brennan. That dude could sling it. That dude thick could sling Miles Brennan. And then he went straight yeah. to the walk-ons ads. It got a little bit too thick. It was like, bro, you yeah. need to go back. You, you got to relax. It's not bulking yeah. season. Let's let's, fi- let's find the balance here. Yeah. yeah
0: I don't think he would have been that guy. Uh, Llewellyn Narcisse, he had that size. He was he's big enough, no doubt
1: about it. I think I looked him up. He was like 6'2", 250. Oh, like, he was a thick boy. Me whew. and JC interviewed him at uh, Under Armour. I'm like... Cause he, I think he like like his ACL his senior season and just put on weight. And I remember looking at him being like, You're a quarterback dog? <laughs> like, yeah. That, he was like covered in tattoos. I was like, Are you sure you're not a linebacker? Like you're
0: a swole. Anyway. Yeah, he was he was a big guy, really yeah. big guy. But red shirt freshman still developing, at least not at the rate that that Ed O'Dron and that LSU staff they were hoping for. They weren't going to turn to him in that moment. And even with Justin McMillan thinking this was his job, let's remember this. Part of the reason everyone was so down on LSU and putting Odron on the hot seat coming into 2018 was because that schedule was grueling. It was maybe the toughest in all of college football coming into the year. You can kind of debate and pick it apart if if it was or if there was another that stacked up better. But Burrow was – brilliant in clutch moments that first season statistically Mm -hmm. speaking 2018 obviously nothing to write home about but he was so good in those key moments even some of the plays in miami in the miami game in the opener that he was making you're like i think this kid kind of gets it where it really kind of all came together i thought was when he goes on the road at auburn and wins that game Mm -hmm. huge fourth quarter that he played in that game so all those moments and that lsu team still was nine and three the regular season right yeah McMillan left and started immediately at Tulane in 2018, where he was, meh, that first year. And then he became a much better player in year two. But that's what we need to remember. Mm-hmm. Ed Ogeron made this move knowing it could totally gut his quarterback depth, which it did. But he made that move because he had to win immediately. And right. he did. So made sense. So if Ogeron was fired, I went back looked at the post 2018 coaching moves will uh that cycle less less household names in that cycle than the previous one we will just say oh, that yeah some of the names who took new jobs post 2018 dana holgerson okay clearly uh, that would have been uh, i don't know that would have worked out lsu <laughs> <No. Design laughs> i was up here to tell you right
1: now no yeah, yeah.
0: uh manny diaz okay eh.
1: All right. We still are unsure if Manny Diaz is a good coach. We've talked about this before. He got such a bad rap at Miami. He's a great DC now. I want I want him to get another head coaching opportunity because he was good at Temple, but I would take him over Data. Let's say that. I would I would love to see Manny Diaz at just
0: Washington State. Obscure yeah. power five program without any sort of realistic expectations. Let's let's see Manny Diaz operate in, in that vacuum.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's it's bad. Oh yeah, Scott Satterfield, that's another one. But the splashiest yes. post-2018 hire that was made, Les Miles of Kansas. We hired Les Miles. Think about Just that. Run it back. Run it back. Joe Oliva said bye. He, he, and Then he said, no, you're staying. And then he said bye. And then he brought him back. Snip, snap, snip, snap. The LSU would have been the human vasectomy. How about it? <laughs> Remember also the Joe Oliva part of this. That was not Scott Woodward's hire to make yet. Joe Oliva was still on the job until April of 2019. Okay. So even if there was a theoretical hire to make after the 2018 season or in the middle of the 2018 season, Joe Oliva's scope is very different than the Scott Woodward scope. I think we can agree on that without. Oh, I mean,
1: Scott Woodward beat. Joe Oliva for their both first choice which was Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M because Scott Woodward was at A&M LSU then missed on Tom Herman who got basically left LSU with the altar You leveraged them and they ended up hiring their D-line coach who was a bad coach for Ole Miss at the time like I remember that hire was like so bemoaned among LSU because we were literally told like we're gonna go get Jimbo no and then it was like Tom Herman was at the one yard line like very close and then they got we got finessed there so yeah to your point it was like the opposite of that it was like not only did they not have Woodward they were working Against Woodward, who, as we see, gets his guy. (laughs) Yes. So I don't think you can look back
0: on that and say, oh, they would have gotten James Franklin from Penn State. Uh, You know, they, oh, they could have just gotten Brian Kelly because they eventually got him. The Brian Mm -hmm. Kelly thing, like, too, also remember the context of that. He's coming off his first playoff berth. At Notre Dame, writing on the wall isn't quite there yet in the way that it was after the 2021 season. So I don't know that he's at that point in his career, his life, or even would want to make that jump. And I don't necessarily think that Joe Oliva would have been the one to talk him into that. I would have more trust in Scott Woodward making that hire, but wouldn't it would not have been his hire to make. It feels like they would have made that underwhelming hire, like a Dave Dorian or something like that. It's like... Yeah. Just like kind of like a oh, this doesn't really move the needle. LSU int- head coach Tim Beck. Oh god. Ugh. Mm, we don't need to go there. Yeah. Kevin the most- Steele. Not Kevin Steele. Kevin Steele. That actually that wouldn't have been that crazy. That that wouldn't have been that crazy, but it still would have been a Matt higher. Like yeah, let's oh, yeah. let's call it what it is. The most interesting one that I thought of. Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino knows that Lamar is leaving after 2017. LSU is desperate at this point to find a quarterback whisperer. LSU says, screw it. We're going big. Total 180 from Odron. and you bring in a respected offensive mind. Bring in Petrino, just say, screw it, we're going for it. Can't take any more of this. Let's make this happen. Different market for him after 2018. Then there was 2019, so probably not actually a good example because, you know, 2017 was Lamar's last season. But nonetheless, and he ends up getting fired and it looks really bad. So probably the timing of this doesn't work out really well. But what if LSU had just said, screw it, let's hire Bobby Petrino?
1: Oh, I mean, my first thought was that they would have, Oliva's hires so would have been Will Wade and Bobby Petrino. I mean, the feds would have been like doing oh. the Birdman gift, but breaking into uh, LSU, like they're hiding all kinds of crap out there. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. That,
0: that might is the most entertaining sliding door that we can entertain. Oh, but yeah. no, it probably wouldn't have happened. The other part of that, and this is going to pain you, this is going to be the part in this where you're going to be sick to your stomach thinking about this, even though this didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Think of all those 2019 LSU stars who could have just transferred after 2018 if Odron had been fired. The list is long. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Maybe, maybe some of those dudes would have stayed if you brought in some great offensive mind. But maybe a lot of those defensive guys. Well, that that was pre-portal era, though. Pre-portal era. But so, like, you could have still, if you were – Jamar chase decided after one year, like, and eh, you know what, even though I can't play immediately elsewhere, I'd still like rather go to a different place. This is, wasn't, this wasn't what I signed up for. Maybe he just, <laughs> this, is, this is Lamar. This is Jamar chase who uh, famously committed to Kansas at one point. Like who knows? I I just think that you would probably look at those guys and you would lose some of them. You, you oh, yeah. just probably would, especially knowing who Ed O'Dron was as a recruiter. and I mean, knowing that's what
1: happened to Eli Ricks. You know, when yeah. Coach O got fired, Eli Ricks said, look, I committed to Coach O, I'm out of here. And that's the only part of the Eli Ricks thing I respect because he was like, look, if you guys fire Coach O, I'm out. and they were thinking about firing him for 2020. And that's why Eli stayed because he was like, I, I have loyalty to this guy, not the program. 16 of the 22 recruits that signed at
0: LSU in that 2020 class, the post-championship class, mm-hmm. 16 of them ended up transferring, Or being separated from the team, so we saw a mass mass exodus. What that looks like with a class that we know, oh signed like that was Mm -hmm. that was his class. So to think that there wouldn't have been casualties from guys who emerged in twenty nineteen, I I'm in. Like I I definitely think even pre portal, even pre immediate eligibility. I think you would have lost some of those guys, maybe some of those defensive stars, like a Grant Delpit, you know, Patrick Queen, like it or Fulton, like even Derek Stingley. That's one. That's an interesting one because Try this one. Chasson. Chasson. There you go. Chasson.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Does he say it like that too? That's what the name is. Good point. Good point, Will. You know what? Chasson. Oh. Que le bon. mm. I saw him squat at IMG. And when I tell you lower half power is different with dudes like that. Oh yeah. It was an experience very much. So, um, so you you look at guys like that and Stingley even he committed to LSU the summer of 2018, Mm. but of course he's not signing until like December of 2018. So like, as he's getting ready to sign or maybe even right before that, and they're pulling the plug on Oh, mm, that would have made for a really interesting decision. There's another alternative here. What if Dave Aranda got the promotion? What if he ends up just getting the job? And if Joe Oliva says, ah, you know what? Let's just keep it in-house again. That's also probably the reason why he wouldn't do it though, is because it didn't work out with the in-house promotion the first time, and then doing an in-house promotion again. Probably not going to sit too well with the boosters who would rather see you do something different and get outside of your own
1: sandbox to play. But I don't know, I never thought about that dynamic. It was said numerous times that they didn't really get along, him and Kocho. But the fact yeah. that he is like this x's and those genius who's been on the team, I think, longer than Kocho, or at least as long as Cocho was the D line coach, but Arenda was like hired by miles. It's like, why are you hired? This dude is like a has like a three hundred winning percentage, and you're promoting him over me, and I'm the one who's actually calling the defense. Like, I actually see Aranda's gripe there. Yeah, I I definitely think there was significant friction between those two guys. I don't but know. it comes that down to recruiting, says. to your point, because Coach yep. O was the recruiting coordinator. He was on the players were on his side. Versus, I'm sure Aranda was the guy who just showed up to the meetings and was like, "Here's my genius scheme. You guys have a great day." <laughs> and and pre twenty pre twenty nineteen, we
0: always talked about how close they were in salary and how unique mm-hmm. that was. And actually Odron was more willing to defer and say, I don't care that I have an assistant that's only making a million bucks less than I am, whatever. We need Dave Aranda on our team. Would he have been someone that an offensive-minded head coach could have come in and retained? I don't know. I don't know if he would have wanted to be a part of three different regimes at LSU. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really know what that market would have looked like. But at the same time, it's not like he would have left after 2018 and had these power five head coaching jobs just lined up. That usually doesn't happen for a defensive coordinator that's part of a fired staff. So for all we know, Dave Aranda's sliding door is actually not very unique. He could have still ended up at Baylor and just kind of hung out at LSU doing the same exact thing. And maybe his path doesn't really change a whole lot. So that's why I didn't really want to go down that road as much. I don't know if Joe Oliva would have been willing to make a move so similar to the one that he already did. Yeah. That would have failed. It's more fun to look at the other pieces outside of burrow. Not just Burrow, because actually burrows like his trajectory, like if he goes to Cincinnati, maybe he's a two year stud at group of five level mid round pick who's holding a clipboard in the NFL right now. I, I don't know. Maybe it was the seven overtime game at AM. Maybe it was the UCF hit. Maybe it was Joe Brady arriving. Maybe it was just all of it. Yeah. I firmly believe that Joe Burrow had to go to LSU to get the version that we know of him today. Do you agree or disagree
1: with that? Oh hundred percent. Yeah. I mean I think I I think all that stuff matters. Um and I think I mean and uh, just a quick Quick couple of corrections. I said Manny Diaz is at Temple. He was never at Temple. There were two coaches that were. He was Manny Diaz was at Temple for two weeks, and then Miami hired him. Oh, so you are correct. I knew there was, like, something going. There was a Temple connection. Okay, I wasn't crazy. Good. Okay. And then the other thing is I will say there was one very key clutch moment that Joe Barr was not good in, the Florida game. He did throw a pick six in the Florida game. I will say that just because I know Florida fans like all the clutch plays. I get it. But
0: yeah. I Loudest think- moment I've ever heard at, at, at a stadium was that mm-hmm. was that pick six. Unbelievable yeah. moment was very much in the beginning of who is LSU, even who is Florida under Dan Mullen. That moment was very unique. You're right. That is that is a fair thing. He wasn't totally like. As clutch as he was even in the loss against AM,
1: he still had a couple of those moments where right. he was
0: figuring out his limitations that year.
1: And so I think, yeah, even going back to that, right? It's all of it. It's the Auburn game where they go all the way down the field. It's the Florida game where they do the opposite of that and they blow the game. It's the AM game, which to your point, I mean, you look back, I think he had like 40 carries in that game. Like he was just it was like 25. Forward. It was like 25 or 30, like somewhere in that 25-30 range. Stupid, yeah. yeah, it was like a stupid number of carries. Um, I actually got this like pulled up right now. But yeah, they um hold on. This is great. Because uh, everybody
0: was gassed that game, and he just decided, I'm going to take the football. I will carry it. I'm not worried about quarterback depth. I'm going to use my legs and will us to this victory that, I mean, let's be honest, LSU had a few different points, which they should have won that game. He had 30 carries for 100 yards and
1: three touchdowns in that game. <laughs> the knees. Unreal. I feel it in my knees right now. Like oh my it's God. so yeah. That's like crazy. So point being like, it's all of it. It was the whole season. It was, I mean, the Miami game, I'll never forget. I was at that game. I got to see his first and hearing like the, what Miami went all the way down the field. They had Bubba Baxo was their kicker. That was like this crazy rated kicker. He was covered in tattoos. And he clanged the first kickoff, kickoff of the upright. I remember looking at Coach O and he just started screaming. And it was like, let's go. And Miami was like cooked after that. Like Joe Burrow started like dealing. And it was like, there were so many weird little moments like that in that season that were like, Okay, like these these like shifts. And I think going through that many of those within one season made him kind of see the highs and the lows and like fall in love with that and try to replicate the highs.
0: I remember after the Miami game in Burrow in the post-game interview is talking about, you know, people people told me when I came here we're gonna be five and seven, six and six. And I'm I'm looking around at this roster going, We're we're gonna be really good. And mm-hmm. I remembered thinking after the game and the way that he handled all of that was this guy's kind of got some Baker Mayfield vibes to him. And I, mm-hmm. I I got a little bit of pushback, I remember. When mm-hmm. People were being like, let's let's not put him into that category just yet, the Heisman Trophy winner, something like that. And then, of course, don't you know it? Joe Burrow, yeah. <laughs> it's
1: not a thing Baker Mayfield is
0: better at. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's jump ahead to 2019 because that's where we can kind of go all over the place with this. That's why I really wanted to do this exercise. We know how it plays out for LSU with Burrow there. He lights up Texas, Bama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Clemson, en route to a national championship. I don't think Burrow not going to LSU drastically changes things for Texas. Even if Burrow doesn't have that I've arrived moment on the pass to Justin Jefferson in Austin when they're putting the cannon through his jersey, all that stuff on college. Yeah. Game day, I think Herman's path pretty much stays the same because they lost four Big 12 games. It wasn't like they were they would have gone to a New Year's Six Bowl or something like that that year. I don't know that that all of a sudden, like if Texas had won that game, which I think they would have won that game if Joe Burrow isn't LSU's quarterback. Yeah. I don't know that that all of a sudden means that they go 10-2 and two or that that propels them to this win or that win. Like They had a lot of issues with that team that year defensively,
1: mainly as well, we saw. You know what we can say? If they won that game, people would have called them back. Yes. That's what we're saying.
0: Yes. The subject of Texas is back, coming to a Saturday Down South podcast near you in the very near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just refuse to believe that anyone wins that game in Tuscaloosa unless it's Peak Burrow. Yeah. I, I think he was one of the few people on the planet, few people in the 21st century who could have gone into Tuscaloosa and won on that day. I... It's hard to project the quarterback room of what it would have looked like if if Odron had been fired and who stays, who goes, maybe a new offensive minded coach comes in, brings in his own guy and it's a grad transfer or something, something like that. So it's hard to say definitively what it would have looked like, how it would have played out for LSU in that game. But I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, you can sit here and plug and play somebody into that spot and say mm-hmm. that they would have been that good in Tuscaloosa. Miles so, Brennan ain't winning that game. Miles Brennan ain't winning that game. Yeah. Even the 2020 version that was kind of promising. No, nah, not winning that game. If Bama wins that game, I don't think we can change history and say that Tua stays healthy. I don't think mm-hmm. we can say that. Because remember, he was coming back a little bit early off of that, yeah, off the injury. And then it was... Was that the ankle injury? I can't remember. But going into that game, he was kind of banged up and you kind of had some moments where it looked like he was banged up. But still, the injury against Mississippi State, that was after that, the hip injury. Yeah. So that yeah, that's yeah. that's all like later. We can't necessarily take that away. But I do think we can ask: does Mac Jones become the 2019 version of Cardell Jones? No relation. Is that? Is that out of the realm of possibility? Because, oh, and then he wins the title for Bama, and then they have another quarterback Mm. late season, late season quarterback that steps in. You're thinking this team is done. If two had gone down in that way with Bama still having real legitimate playoff chances, and you're like, ah, yeah, they're done, stick a fork in them, and then Mac Jones comes in and saves the day. I think that's on the table. I do. I think that Clemson team. I think they would have been overmatched. I think they had some issues on the defensive side of the ball. All the pieces that they had replaced on the defensive line on that 2019. That's a little bit
1: of revision. That was a really good team. I mean, that was Trevor Lawrence's best season ever. And if you see the ways like, – who's that – Uh, diet Tyron Matthew that they had on that team Isaiah Simmons or whatever like they they had man they had some and that was the reason why they got up as early as they did and I would argue I mean that team if if they were playing not Joe Burrow like any other player because they still got up big on LSU and I remember in that game we've talked about it but Joe Burrow broke a rib in that game and after that moment he he was at his own two-yard line he motions Edward Jalair out into a passing route. It was like, don't give me more protection, give me more receivers. And he hit a guy. And so if they would have just rolled whoever they played, we're talking about that Clemson team being one of the best teams ever. Mm. Let's think about that. That that is I, I think that's at least part of the discussion mm-hmm.
0: of maybe getting another Clemson, Alabama round mm-hmm. instead. It, Cause that that dynasty, whatever that that run from twenty fifteen through twenty eighteen, it was a four year war essentially, we, I I believe would have gotten a fifth round Mm -hmm. of that and how that game goes. mm, It's so tough. It is so tough because like as much as I became very intrigued with the player that Mac became, especially in 2020, I still thought he did some things at a very high level in 2019. Mm -hmm. And how does that, how does that look like against that Clemson team knowing the stakes and that's different than against Michigan, where you kind of know what you're up against. Pressure's kind of off of you. But I think I think it's really you at least have to ask the question: Clemson or Bama? Year mm-hmm. five of that college football as a whole probably benefited more from not having another Clemson Bama thing and just yeah. going back and forth. Um, but yes, that would have at least been interesting. So if Bama, if Bama repeats though, if that does happen, if they did beat Clemson do they win in 2020 as well? Or are they getting too much off season attention? 2020 is so weird well, to figure I mean, out the off He came back as a senior, right? Came back as a senior, won the Heisman trophy 2020. And that team had Jalen Waddles still. And the conversation with Bama was a little bit on the back burner mm-hmm. because of not just in part because of COVID and the entire off season, but because Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields came back right. obviously for their junior seasons, their pre-draft seasons. And so they had all the attention. And it was almost a little bit like Bama was kind of in that that's that second tier. But if they had won the title in 2019, they're they're in the forefront of this. Mac Jones is getting a different kind of off-season narrative than what he actually had coming into 2020. So we all talk about like Bama feasting off of you know the doubt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Could would they have had that same mindset and been on a warpath in 2020?
1: But I mean, do you think Smitty comes back if they come out on a high note? Because his whole thing was, I want to win one. Oh. If he if he wins one, he doesn't win the Heisman. I don't think because why would he come back as a senior? Nobody does that anymore.
0: Isn't that a funny thing to say though for a guy who caught the game-winning pass in the 2017 championship That's and made one point. of the most yeah. made one of the most famous plays in college football history on second and 26, and he would yeah. still come back and be like, Ah, oh, yeah, I want to win one. It's like, buddy, you did. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's that's like I hate to say underrated, but it's like, gosh, his career is like that. That's a level of greatness. I don't think I was able to fully put together until you just said that. Like, wow, well, the Heisman won two titles, made the plays in both of those games. You know, Louisiana greatness does. Yeah, but that's does the word for it? <laughs> <laughs> but but does Devontae Smith come back?
0: That's that's an interesting one that I hadn't even had even fully thought of yet. But yeah, that that discussion with the 2019 championship is obviously different because LSU was not playing in that game. What about Georgia? What about Georgia? Dogs were in the SEC championship in 2019 with a real chance to get into the playoff and maybe make some noise. Maybe make some noise. Instead, they would have faced Bama because let's even if Bama. Gets in there with one loss to Auburn. Let's we could because Mac Jones started that game against Auburn, so we yeah. saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: that one's pretty one to one. Yeah. So we could we could leave that. We're not taking an Iron Bowl victory away from you, Auburn fans. Don't worry. Yeah. But and they knew it. That I mean, I remember being scared at that time that if they won that game, they could get in and play LSU in the first round. Like that, it was a playoff was still very much on the table. So it wasn't like the stakes would have changed for Mac Jones to win that game. You see what I'm saying? Sure, sure, sure. I I think that if you.
0: Look at a Bama-Georgia SEC championship. Mm -hmm. And remember, it's Mac-Bama against Georgia. Mm -hmm. I don't think, at the very least, even if Georgia loses that game, I don't think a loss to Bama convinces Kirby that he has to make a drastic offensive change. Ooh, okay. I think it's it's chalked up as, ah, he couldn't get over the Saban hump yet again. What does he have to do to... Maybe there, maybe it's possible that if Georgia had lost that game, I don't know, 35, 13, something like that, mm-hmm. if they had lost that game by a very lopsided margin in the same way that they ended up losing to LSU with Burrow, it's possible that Kirby steps back and says, I'm not getting over the hump against Saban doing it like this. I do need to change my offensive approach. I need to go out and get a new play caller
1: and kind of tweak this system. It's possible. That's why. So one thing about those games is there are no blowouts. That's a game that Kirby Swartz go lead for two and a half to three quarters, yep. and then he's just gonna blow it at the end. At that era, okay. And so you're right. There's no reason why he'd step back and be like, he'd be like, we almost got him. Yeah, because even in 2020, a game that you
0: look at back on, you're like, that was kind of lopsided. Well, Georgia was what leading at halftime of that game, yeah. and the Bama Bama gets going. So. I don't know that it would have been seen in that sort of way. Kirby would be more introspective about the fact that he he hadn't beaten Saban yet. And maybe that's a little bit more of the discussion. And instead, you get against LSU and that Joe Burrow offense that smack in your face. Here's how you overhaul an offense. Here's why scheme matters. Here's why you need to change Kirby Smart. And mm, that's, I, I think... That's set the that that totally set the stage for the Todd Munkin move. You cannot convince me otherwise. They move on from James Coley. And look, I'll I'll always James say Coley, that's the name I haven't heard in a while. Right. Oof. I think Georgia doesn't win two national championships if not for hiring Todd Munkin. I firmly believe that. Maybe they win one. Maybe they win one. I don't think Georgia repeats. But George fans. Yes. I think it's fair to wonder what that would have looked like because you might be right in saying, well, you know, 2020 George's offense didn't really do much of anything, but it at least got Stetson reps in that Todd Munkin offense. And he was so much more comfortable in 2021 and looked like a guy who had been there before, even though he kind of really hadn't, but I thought that 2019 ICC championship was just such a great reality check of scheme and having the right dude to lead your program. That stuff matters. And it's Mm -hmm. why talent acquisition, it is huge. It is the foundation of every great program, but it's not the only thing that matters. And I thought that sort of flipped the switch in the Georgia dynasty that, look, I don't know if that happens if not for that sort of reality check on
1: that stage. And think about, too, you know, in terms of embarrassing Georgia losses, when they went to Tiger Stadium and Joe Burrow whooped them the first time, that was a pretty good indication of Jake Fromm going to do this for us. You know, I remember Jake Fromm going into empty and LSU being like, please throw the ball. We scared scared of you. Grant Delpit was out there knocking the crap out of him. So, like, there was a couple of things, I think, that got Kirby in that mindset. I think the losses of Bama did it. But I do think those two losses to Joe Burrow, watching that guy on the other sideline and being like, we got everything but that guy. You know, and they found that guy. He was on the roster,
0: but... Yeah, and and maybe I don't I don't know that because it's not like he he's he decides we need to. Well, actually, he did end up deciding going into going into twenty twenty, we're gonna try and get whatever transfer quarterback we have or we can. Jamie Newman, oh, JT yeah. Daniels. So oh, he yeah. did. He I mean, did
1: literally get whatever transfer.
0: Yeah, he's like, I'll take all of them. I, I every one of them can come on board. But I I do think that his. His approach, and you can't just win with this all-world defense. It really came into form that day because it wasn't close. It you was Walker close. Walker
1: falling over himself trying to catch Burks.
0: That was so bad, man. That 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 was like one of those one of those games that I went into thinking, well, George's defense is still going to be they they're not going to back down from this. This is still a, a, a prime opportunity for them surely Joe Burrow's not going to carve them up the way that he's carved up everybody. Maybe they'll at least get some resistance, and it was over by halftime. Yep.
1: It was over. It was- hey, but don't forget, though. Like they were telling me at the concession stand, George Pickens, he's going to come back at halftime? It's going to be a different game in the second half. Buddy, was it not? It, it was, was so not. Nice. He, he threw a punch against George's head. What a fun little Dave some dudes we got going
2: on here.
0: Yeah. So I, I think maybe you can wonder, like, do Bama and Georgia go back and forth and does Georgia take the spot of Clemson and have this back and forth all of a sudden with Bama where they're trading off national championships? Maybe we are in the midst of that. We don't even just realize it yet. But I do think that 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 did change things for what Georgia has become in the 2020s. And maybe, maybe Bama's the team that would have benefited the most directly because they would have gotten a path to a national championship that didn't include the Joe Burrow LSU, but I think it impacts a lot of things. I'm probably forgetting stuff now that I think about it. And of course, like if, if LSU had made a coaching change and we don't want to go full egg bowl moments and mm-hmm. talk about all the different sliding doors there, because obviously th- there would have been some of those, a cause and effect of that, but man, it, it does feel like it impacted so much more than just simply, oh, guys decided that they wanted to go to LSU because Joe Burrow was incredible
1: know i would say this too i mean and 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 and, and thinking about that the first job or winning against georgia right i mean hey that was their first, their only like regular season loss of the season. It was in Tiger Stadium in 2018. There's that's the most the game that I'm the most like. Okay, we couldn't win this game without Jimbo because it was a great defensive showing. Don't get me wrong, but like that the difference was quarterback play. And so that's a team that would have been going undefeated into because none of their other games were really obviously particularly close. Looking at this, like, they were blowing everybody out in 2018. Um, and they lost Alabama by seven. Okay, in the SEC championship game. They're making the field in 2018. And then guess what happens? They don't play Texas. And then guess what happens? Texas Texas doesn't claim back. back. (laughs) It all goes back to Texas. Oh, how did I not
0: think of that? Will, you are exactly right. If Joe Burrow doesn't go to LSU, Texas never makes the claim that it's back. Georgia doesn't face with a very depleted roster. Doesn't face a Texas team with four losses who decides after winning that game that it is indeed back. And it wasn't again coming to a Saturday down south podcast in the very near future. The subject of Texas is back. Gosh, that's good. A lot of stuff, man. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff. A lot, a lot of stuff. Hopefully we're going to be able to do stuff like this. A little bit more of like the, the anniversary stuff, the sliding door stuff. I realized last year I missed a little bit of an opportunity to do more into the the 10-year anniversary of Manziel. I had kind of some more plans to do that. And then it snuck up on me during the season. So I like being able to do stuff like this in uh, the middle of May. Anything else? Any other takeaways? Anything that's, that's strange to look back on? But now we have different contexts being five years removed from it.
1: No, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about it, man. I've got on your page about the 2018 LSU thing where it's like, yeah, I mean, they LSU has been so close to the brink of like, because that's the weird thing about LSU. Like LSU and Georgia are like complete polar opposites because Georgia will consistently win 10 games a year. And historically, okay, they blow these big games and they just get right there. They're like that B-plus team. And LSU is either this chaotic C-plus or like an A-plus, and there's like no in-between. And so point being like they've been on the brink of just getting kicked back into the Spartan pit of irrelevancy so many times because they don't have that consistent path to 10 wins. They don't have that level of history. They don't have that level of money. And so talking about how you hire – like who would have then just been the shrimp boat captain. That's what they call him when he missed on Sertan, right? Coach O. When, when he missed on Sertan, they were like, we hired this dang shrimp boat captain. This was a mistake. Da, da, da. I remember I was working at SDS for that laugh and going, uh-oh, <laughs> we might be in trouble before the season. But point being, you know, if they if they make that wrong hire, um, you know, then they make another wrong hire. To your point, and now you're talking about an irrelevant LSU team for five, six, seven years, you know, whether your high point is having Danny Etling and losing to Brian Kelly. And now it's like, who wants this LSU job? You know, you're, you're, you gotta play Alabama like a similar situation to kind of where Auburn was at before they found, you know, the gift that is Hugh Freeze. That guy's not always out there. And so I I think that that's, that's very interesting because we see it now and how LSU has talked about this great job. But when you get told no, the amount of time I remember being, Like, are we broke? Like, the the thing we always talk about with the Will Smith from uh, Fresh Bridge, how come you don't want me, man? Like, that whole 2018, or that, sorry, the the 2016 coaching cycle of, like, why does nobody want to coach for LSU? And if you, you know, hire a coach, and it looks like a desperation move, or like what you had to do, then you fire him, you get that whole staff out of there, probably, right? Aranda, Corey Raymond, all those guys, no Derek Stingley, and you completely remake the program. I mean, there's just not a name out there that we could have hired that would have been you know what 2019 was, or even what Brian Kelly would have been. So it's this huge bridge to at least like mid plus. Like Brian Kelly has a very hard floor on this win total. You know what I'm saying? Bobby Petrino, man, Bobby dude, Petrino. I would have welcomed Bobby Petrino for firing Coach O. That would have been the best hire. I'd take that over. Yeah. Yeah. He actually like after 2018,
0: that would have made any any real sense just because of how bad he was at Louisville. Like now that I look back and I think on it. Maybe maybe that wouldn't have been the move because but if they had made that after 2017, that's a different story. But that's not yeah. when when I was on the hot seat. So that probably doesn't apply. But yes, the, the the lives
1: that were impacted by Joe Burrow, that list is very, very, very long. Oh, wait, one more. Sorry. Uh like think about like the mystique of Joe Brady, too. I think Joe Brady is a five coach. When people we are talking about Joe Brady like he was young, Nick Saban after that team. They were like, We gotta hire, he's gotta be an NFL head coach or a offensive coordinator. Do that for you, you'll be a young, you'll be late Kiffin, bro. You'll be right there, and it's like What's he doing now? I think he's I like Josh Allen's QB coach, which is like a job that does itself. If he's still there, I don't know.
0: Yeah, but that, that's that's one that I thought we would probably dig into in a much much more interesting way. And, and actually, you kind of look at, at Joe Burrow's, not Joe Burrow, but Joe Brady's path and And what he's done in terms of NFL jobs, You're like, well, if he had stayed with the Saints and he kind of works his way up, like maybe maybe his life isn't really that that different. And he's because it's not like he's an NFL head coach or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's changing the fortunes of a franchise or something. But obviously the other overlooked sliding doors that we talked about is, the Bengals in the next 10 years, how desirable they've become as as a franchise, getting to play with Joe Burrow, how that's kind of changed the landscape of the AFC, thinking that you have to swing for the fences to be able to compete with a Josh Allen, a Joe Burrow, or a Pat Mahomes, and thinking like the Indianapolis Colts did of, oh, I've got to go and get my Anthony Richardson or or something like that. It, it has changed probably the way that we look at, at the NFL because Burrow has established himself into a bona fide franchise stud and a guy that could have probably gone anywhere and and succeeded at an extremely high level, but the fact that he's doing it in the conference that has those two other quarterbacks, that is definitely changing the way that we'll talk about the NFL for the next 10, 15 years.
1: Yeah, Um, I just think one more note on Joe Burrow. You know, I've said this over and over again. Um, I I believe it so strongly. It's like people in the NFL had to learn what Joe Burrow was. You know, like back in the day, right? We've talked about Terry Bradshaw in here, how like Mm -hmm. winning used to be correlated to like, Uh, 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 ability. And people would look at Terry Bradshaw, this is a great quarterback. This is MVP. It's like, brother, you had like 30 interceptions one season, like 10 touchdowns. You're not being good, but you were on the Steelers. They had this great defense. And so it used to be that wins were the metric of how good a player was. And now we've done the complete opposite. Now we have all these losers that are quarterbacks that we think are great quarterbacks. And one of those guys is Justin Herbert. We saw it this year, finally, you know, in the, in the game against the Jaguars. Um, And it bothers me that it is taking NFL people to learn, what I knew about Joe Burrow, which is that there's nothing you can quantify about why he's good at football. He just has that dog in him. And it's like a St. Bernard Rottweiler, huge dog in him. And you could look at, Oh, this is a guy who was projected to go in the seventh round after 2018. Um, and there's nothing special about him versus a guy like Herbert arm strength, build da. It's like, you know you look at some of these scores and i'm like reliving these games it's just like he just knew how to win football games and that's a skill that has been completely lost in the modern nfl media because they think like oh you got to have this you got to have this and it's like sometimes just having that dog in you is enough and i think he is a great example of that um so yeah i think i think it's just it's it's cool to see that and have him be from my team and see nfl guys kind of catch on to that
0: if joe burrow didn't become joe burrow will would not hate justin herbert with a fiery
1: passion. i don't even hate him i like i just it, it's about the media and how they view him it's like bro like, come you. on bro
2: i hear
0: you all right let's kick it to josh pate great conversation with one of my favorite people in the business a toast to the 14 playoff and its final year the a&m dilemma and even some pac-12 conversation that's right we went out west so here's josh pate now excited to be joined by a very special guest it is the one and only josh Pate. This is the first time that we've talked, I think since the natty, which I'm not gonna say what time of year it is currently. I know you're not a believer in that. We can't we can't use that word on these airwaves. We won't do that. If we do, we'll bleep it out. But I have noticed in the recent months, since the regular season, the postseason has ended, you have taken up a hobby, a hobby of ping pong. I've only seen the videos of you of you losing. I don't watch any content with you winning.
2: So you can see a certain portion of the screen, but like if I raise my hands, you can see the nervous energy in my thumbs right now. And that's because when we get done, first thing I'm doing is taking this earpiece off. The second thing I'm doing is headed right to the pong table. It's not really a hobby. It's like a lifestyle. You have to commit yourself to it. Let me rephrase. If you're going to be the number one overall seed in the 24-7 Sports Nashville office, you have to commit yourself. And I accept nothing less. So I committed myself to it. And not, not only that, we got a second table. So if you've ever heard like dueling pong action going on, it's like two guys warming up in a bullpen simultaneously. It's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. I wish that we could, um, I wish there was a way that we could live stream it. And I've petitioned for that, but times are tight right now. I I need to know how much pre-workout is too much pre-workout before ping pong. Is there a limit? I, I, don't, I don't know if there's a limit. Um, it's much like giving blood. You can just give as much as you want to. There's not really a limit to those sorts of things. They call me all the time. I mean, all the time. And I'm I'm a
0: pretty frequent blood donor, but those calls never stop. I mean, I I got one after I donated like three days earlier. And I'm like, I, I don't think I can do this. <laughs>
2: yeah. You have to know this. You have it in your records. the 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 blood donation and jury duty mm. are two things I've never been hit up for. And I think I'm healthy and I think I'm of sound mind. And I'm not complaining, but I'm saying I've never been hit up for either one of them. Have you watched the show Jury Duty? You should. No, I've I have I've done everything. I've watched I've watched all the John Grisham movies. I've done everything that you think that you need to do for to be on the government's radar to qualify for jury duty and I have not ever been hit up and apparently they don't really care for my blood either. Look at all this water I drink every day. Mine's the blood you should want, but whatever. You guys do you. Okay, so who's
0: the team that's playing ping pong in your mind right now? That's the seamless transition. That's how we'll do it here. The team that's just, you're going back and forth on. It's like, man, one day it's this, one day it's this. Because I have a little bit of that with Alabama right now. Like there's part of me that can see some of the cracks in the foundation. And I'm thinking to myself, if this were going to be the end, this is what it would look like. But at the same time, I don't want to be the person to count this program out and what they're capable of. Although I'm already on the record saying, I don't think they're going to make it to the playoff. Who's, Who's that team that's kind of in your mind where you're just like, Man, I just like I can't settle on a, on a stance right now, and
2: my brain just keeps going back and forth. Okay, so what I would love for Colin to be able to do right now is like lower a microphone from the ceiling, dim the lights a little bit, because I, what I want to do is just reverse it entirely. So you're on late kick now. I am welcoming you into late kick, <laughs> and let me ask you, um, you know, who do you think you are? Like, what what gives you the right? I guess is my question to you. Why are you falling for this? I talked about this on as we're recording last night's show and i just so i equated it to a gas tank with alabama and i'm going to give you my answer to your question in a second but with bama right now people think they're like bordering on poverty program status all of a sudden because of the quarterback thing like the quarterback thing's legit okay and and i'm not suggesting otherwise but the thing about it is that really bites a team when elsewhere they're not elite and bama's like elite everywhere else they have half a dozen former five-star guys just at edge just at the edge position. So they're loaded everywhere. I think they just brought in their best signing class ever under Saban over a decade and a half. So I equated it to the gas tank thing in that they're they're being convinced. It's like a psyop for Nick Saban. They're being convinced down there that they have like an eighth of a tank left and they're not sure where the next gas station is. So you know how you drive when you have to conserve fuel and every drop counts. They're going to operate with that mindset this year, even though they have like three quarters of a tank to start, even with the quarterback stuff built in. I think it could be the hungriest and the most focused team he's had in a while. I think they could run the ball extremely well. I think they massively upgraded their secondary. So anyway, I'm saying all that to say Bama's not my ping pong team. You can go elsewhere in the West. And I think A&M is my mm. ping pong team. And I wouldn't even need to leave the state of Texas to also say Texas could qualify as the ping pong team. Um I've got a little Pong vibe with Penn State, but I don't think there's a lot of downside with them. The, the only downside is they fall to Michigan and Ohio State. That would be the downside with them. But with A&M, it would not shock you if I had like one of the 24-7 crystal balls here and I rubbed it and I said, hey, I saw December. A&M's in, in the Liberty Bowl. A&M's in Shreveport. But it also probably wouldn't shock you if, hey, they got things righted and the new offensive coordinator, it turns out that's what they needed. and 10 win team man they were right on the precipice i'm not going to spoil late november for you but they're right on the precipice of some some crazy things and i i go back and forth i have no clue what i'm going to predict for a&m yet
0: i i'm honored to be the first guest in the history of late kicks so that's that's a privilege for me i have truly blessed I, I feel um yeah i look i, I think that the only counterpoint to, to the bam thing because you're you're 100 right we overvalue teams based on quarterback, and it can go the other way where it's a 2021 UNC scenario, and there are people like me who are hyping them up because they bring back Sam Howell, and then you kind of forget, like you look at the rest of the roster, and you're like, yeah, it's kind of got a lot of problems. It's not really that's a top because to
2: They opened that Friday night against North Carolina, oh, and everyone's sh- dreams got shattered before Saturday even got here. I remember that. I was with you. That was so bad. That was, that was really bad. So like we, we can get a little bit too
0: talked into it one way or another, but I think the, the one thing about Bama, as much as you talk about the talent and all those different things is that we just have more questions than we've had. Mm -hmm. We have more questions and it's coming off of this stretch, this two year stretch, the stat that I continue to bring up where I think the number ended up being 12 of their 16 conference games were one-score games in the fourth quarter? Like, that is not the Bama of old, and if there was ever a time for them to have that revenge sort of season, it would have happened last year, one would think, but we're still in this uncomfortable place where doubting Bama feels wrong. So are you saying Bama has national championship upside? Because it is pass-fail. It is national championship or bust with Bama, and anything short of that will be considered, oh, see, this is why that this is why Nick Saban has passed his prime.
2: Yeah, no, no. I think they're right in the national championship conversation in November. I don't think they may not be unblemished, but I think they'll be right there. Uh, The other thing I go to is you sometimes you're talking about traps. Sometimes the trap we fall into with them is comparing them against past Bama teams instead of comparing that year's team against the other teams in the country. And I know it's preseason. In fact, it's May, so it's pre preseason. But if you scan the country right now. Where are the elite quarterbacks? You got one in Southern California, you got one at North Carolina. At least that's what the mock draft community tells me. Neither one of those places plays a hint of defense. So there's not a team out there that's led by, at least as far as we know, a transitional or uh, what am I generational talented quarterback to where you say, that's the team you've got to go through. Like that's not out there. So I'm looking at this Bama team and I can spot the flaws or I can spot the questions just like you, but then I spot them with everyone else too. So I'm not going to I'm not gonna sit here and discount Bama because I don't think they would beat the 2020 version of themselves. I'm asking, that team played Michigan. How would they fare? That team plays Georgia. I think Carson Beck's going to be really good. I've never seen him start a game. I know they've lost 13 guys off their defense to the draft the last two years. Eventually, that catches up to you. If they play Southern Cal, they'd run the ball for half a mile on them. So Ohio State, I don't know who's starting at quarterback for them. Clemson, I have no clue if they're back. So Yeah, there's questions there. That's a good news thing, though, for us, because there's questions all over the country. The three teams that we picked to win a
0: national championship or that we think had the talent to win a national championship every single year, Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, all have new starting quarterbacks. It's definitely fueling this discussion. Where were you? Were
2: you in Columbus, Georgia in 2004? Yes, Harris County, north of Columbus. So if I say I'm in Columbus, my home people come from me. So I was just north of Columbus. Okay, so you're in the state of Georgia the last time Georgia was picked to win the SEC. Think about that for a second. Yeah, I lived it. I lived it. I probably have newspaper clippings of it somewhere. So then the entire discussion about
0: picking Georgia to win the SEC, because that's you'll be there at SEC Media Days. You can just walk down the street because it's in Nashville this year. This discussion of, oh, well, you can't pick against Bama. Georgia has not been picked to win the SEC since 2004. <laughs> and they're the two-time defending national champs. And there's still going to be a little bit of that question of, ah, you know what, maybe we shouldn't pick against Bama. Maybe, this is, maybe we shouldn't do that for the first time in eight years. Where do you stand on all of that? Should Georgia just be the set it and forget it pick to win the SEC this year?
2: Set it and forget it. Is that like a throwback to the Ronco Grill infomercial? Yes. Wow. Did that not make you so hungry when you used to watch that? So we need to talk about that in a second. Well, where I stand on this is, as you mentioned, if we open the studio door right now, I could see the Grand Hyatt. I can see where they're going to have media days. And that is such a blessing. Sleeping in your own bed, Mm. I assume, for media. We'll see how the day goes. But assume I sleep in my own bed for media days.
0: You slept like 12 hours last year in another bed. So you might have actually slept better in a different bed when you overslept the Kirby Smart interview. I'm just saying.
2: And that's as far down that road as we need to go, I think. So <laughs> I, I don't care who I predict. I don't care who anyone predicts. That's where I've always landed on that. I do think Georgia will, I didn't know that stat about 04, but yeah, I think Georgia will be the first pick since 04 in Athens, Georgia. And that's a really convoluted way of saying they'll get picked to win the SEC. The Ronco grill commercials, children, if you don't know, yes, probably on YouTube, it would it would be like if you watched sunday night football on nbc and then you fell asleep you either woke up to watching 60 minutes mm-hmm. or if you slept through 60 minutes and you woke up at like 2 a.m there was this infomercial that was this kitchen full of grills and then there was this dude forgot his name he's not he's not pertinent here they would take this huge like boston butter this huge ham or turkey and they would show you how to season it and marinate it. And then they would load it and they would set it and forget it. But then they had a finished version of it in a grill over here. And they would pull it out and they would cut slices of that meat open. And this studio audience would go, ooh, ah, and you're sitting there. You're probably hungry and you're having to watch this. And like you have the weirdest thing because you don't want crystal at 2 a.m. All of a sudden you want like a full glazed ham or a turkey at 2 a.m. It was the best of times. Simpler times. The audience, mm. didn't they
0: used to chant? Like, he would be like, and what do you do? And then they would go, set it, and no, you, forget you, it. You, you
2: said it, and forget it. Yeah. Oh. oh, man. Well, simpler I said times. I was playing ping pong when we get off air, but I think I may go just do a Ronco <laughs> a Ronco YouTube search. These okay. people knew what they were doing, man. They knew it, what they were doing. Did they invent the crock pot? Is that, is that essentially what we're talking about here? It's like a McDonald's thing. Like, Ronco didn't invent the grill. McDonald's didn't invent the hamburger, but man, they perfected it. They
0: did. Absolutely. Okay. So speaking of things that happened two decades ago, I am old enough to remember a time in college football in which we had debate about a national champion after a national championship was mm-hmm. played. Wasn't that long ago. Crazy to think about that. What the 14 playoff did is essentially it ruled that out. Unless you're one of those people, you're Danny Cannell of the world and you're saying 2017 UCF, Should win a national championship despite the fact they didn't have to play two of the three best teams in the country. Alabama did. Like if that's you, whatever. But still, what should we what should we miss most about the 14 playoff as it enters its final year? Because I think that's the thing that gets a little bit lost in the shuffle, even though obviously the BCS championship game came well before that.
2: I don't know what I'm going to miss, only because there were even elements of this era that I didn't like. For those unfamiliar, I actually liked the BCS era. I actually liked the era that ended sometimes with people mad, only because I don't think people being mad is the worst thing in the world. It's not reason to tear it down to the studs and rebuild from scratch. But people disagreed with me, so that went the way it went. So with the four team, I think we still maintained at least at least a a baseline sense of urgency on every Saturday in the fall and I think that probably deludes a little bit more when you go to 12 teams and there are people out there who disagree I know the arguments against that I know all of it so we don't even have to talk about it but I I disagree with it obviously I like I don't think the urgency between two three lost teams playing for possibly a 12 seed is anywhere close to comparable to the Ohio State-Michigan urgency that we felt the last two years in a row, um, the, the the Georgia-Alabama urgency that we felt, even though one of them ended up, or two of them, ended up making it in losing an SEC championship game. It took such a perfect case scenario for that to happen. So I think that may be what people miss. But I've also come to realize this. There is a group, I think it's a minority group, but they're vocal. There is a vocal minority group of college football fans who do not love Saturdays quite like you and I may. And they don't think that the sport should revolve around the regular season. They don't think that's the best thing about college football. These are people who grew up probably on the NFL, and they've taken a passing interest in college. They watch it because it's on, in other words. But they really want to apply Sunday logic to the Saturday game. And to them, they don't really care what happens in September and October. It's all leading up to what happens in a postseason that they would love to see as big as possible, and so for them, nothing I'm saying makes sense. They don't even get that. That doesn't compute with them. I've always thought it was a little foolish to serve the few at the expense of the many in in life and in college football, but that's what we're doing now. And so I don't. I think I'll miss the urgency. That's what I think I'll miss the most. But even having said that, you know, I, I had a conversation with my dad about this, and he said, "Isn't the expanded playoff going to be good for you?" And I said, well, in business terms, it sure is. It absolutely is. Uh, We'll be profitable. We'll be more profitable. We'll scale our show more. All that's true. That's how you can tell I firmly mean what I say, because it's in my best interest for this thing to expand, and I still really don't like it. I, I agree with that 100%. And if I can talk about
0: Ole miss being involved in the playoff discussion in November, yeah, that's that's great for business. That's great for for sites like ours that that cover this and to have more teams involved. That that's I'm all for that. But what What doesn't sit well, and i'm I'm one of those people that I was fine with the four team, and I'm okay. You know, I understand the, the business dynamics of wanting to to get to twelve and all those different things and why it had to happen in twenty twenty four. But the idea that doesn't sit well with me, and I'm interested in your your opinion on this, the team that is uberly talented, uberly talented goes nine and three, then gets into the postseason and just gets hot. And, and wins down the stretch. The idea of that team winning a national championship doesn't feel right. And I know right. every other sport allows that team to be able to win a national championship. But college football and preserving it, it's not just, oh, well, this mid- you know, this mid November game matter, but that the idea of that team, that team doesn't exist in the current system, because even though 2017, Ohio state 2014 or 2017 Bama 2014, Ohio state, those are the only two teams that have gotten hot and won a national championship, but they did so after one loss, regular seasons. So it's, so I'm okay with that. That doesn't sit well with me, a nine and three team winning a national championship. Where where do you kind of stand on that? Do I need to adapt my mindset a little bit more?
2: No, I totally agree with it. So, why do people freak out so much when Alabama loses a game? If if Georgia loses a game this year, why would it be such a huge story nationally? It's because you know they either got knocked out of the championship picture or the entire safety net is gone from under them and they have to be perfect the rest of the way. And the reason that excites you is because in college football, it's not equal. It is not pro sports. They're not built on a platform to where everyone gets pushed to the middle and all the mechanisms of the sport are meant to push everyone to the middle so in college football you know there are halves and there are have-nots and the greatest weapon that could potentially take one of the halves out of the championship picture is a small playoff which sounds counterintuitive but you know when one of those losses happens oh wow bama they're the most talented team in the country they're ranked number one they would be favored still tomorrow against anyone But it may not matter because they just lost a game. So they may be out of it. That excitement you feel is the urgency that a smaller postseason creates. And it may give someone else a shot. What's going to happen when you expand the field is Bama's never out of it. Uh, Georgia's never out of it. Ohio State's never out of it. And so what you're doing is you're giving reprieves to the most talented rosters. And they'll always have more talent than you. A hundred times out of a hundred, Bama will be more talented than Tulane. It's just LSU will be more talented than Tulane. End of story, case closed. But in this world that's coming up, I it, it, it's so idealistic, it's so utopian, it's, it's so childlike for people to think this is going to give a shot for the underdog. There are going to be more spots and we've got the ridiculous auto-bid clause now that that is inevitably going to put G5 teams in the playoff, which I've always had a problem with, but whatever. So there's a thought that with that format, comes an increased likelihood that we'll have a Cinderella story. And I just, I, I, I don't look forward to this, but in a way to shut some people up, I do look forward to watching LSU get beat by Alabama and maybe drop one because they have a, a shaky situation at offensive line, and then a beats them at the end of the year. But they're a three-loss team in the SEC West, and their strength of schedule is such that they sneak in the back door and they get an 11 seed. And then in December, they get healthy and they get hot and they do exactly what a really talented team with a third chance in life does. They go on to beat a bunch of folks and end up right there in the championship discussion. That is 10 times more likely to be your Cinderella story than having a 2017 UCF ever emerge from this thing. So if that's what you think makes college football great, if that's what you think you need to see, the most talented people, the people with all the advantages in life, also being given second and third chances when they screw up, this new format will be for you.
0: I, I agree, and I think it's it's weird to say that a team like uh, a team that hasn't been able to go get over the hump, a Notre Dame, you know what Oklahoma was with Lincoln Riley, obviously. I guess you could say you could apply it to USC, or even you could apply it to Michigan, who's you know come up short these last two years in the playoff. They actually, in my opinion, stand to benefit a lot from playing meaningful football games in December and hosting a home playoff game and getting to win a game like that. Like, can you imagine a camp Randall game in which they're hosting Florida or LSU and they win that game at home and like, what that moment means for the program, even if they don't go on to win a national championship, even if it means they still end up getting blown out by a team like Georgia in a semifinal of like what that would actually do to lift that team. I think it's okay to separate those two things, but to not trick yourself into thinking that that team all of a sudden has national championship upside.
2: Yeah. I've never been this, this person who paints with a broad negative brush over this. There are things that excite me about it. It's just the negatives outweigh the positives for me, obviously, but Some of the positives are home playoff games across the board. That's a positive. I wish that was the way it was in the four team format, but we understand why it couldn't be. So I'm all for that. I wish in a perfect world, I'll tell you what I wanted to do. If you wanted expansion, I wish we could have just gone to six, no auto bids, and just taken the top six. That's what I would have loved because you get the first round buy element and you get the opportunity to have home playoff games with the, what, three through six. Anyway, so that's not going to happen. With this in mind, though, yes, the home playoff games excite you. And yes, especially the the novelty aspect of being able to see northern market teams welcome southern market teams. Because then we finally get to answer the age-old question of do snowflakes act as kryptonite for any team south of the Mason-Dixon line? I don't think that may pan out quite the way folks expect it to, but whatever, we'll get to find out together. That's like one positive. And then I list four negatives, and it's – it's the same reason I don't vacation in Minnesota. I would love to see caribou, for example. I don't enjoy negative six as the high temperature. So there are negatives that outweigh the positives. Have you gone to Minnesota in the summer? I've never been to Minnesota, period. So here I am knocking a state I've never been to. And shame <laughs> on me for it. Although when I was growing up, when I was in third grade, Ms. Pritchett handed us a book report assignment. And it was you have to pick a city in America and you have to learn everything about it and do a book report. I lived across the street from a dude who collected tractors. So Minneapolis Moline is one of the big tractor lines. They're beautiful orange, like brighter than tangerine orange. So I picked Minneapolis. So I know everything there is to know about Minneapolis. I'm just saying I've never actually been there in person. That's...
0: What a a memory, third grade to know everything (laughs) about that. Mrs. Pritchett, shout out Mrs. Pritchett. She's definitely Mm -hmm. listening. Uh, I need your storm chasing team. Maybe it's a little bit too similar to your ping pong team, but your storm chasing team. Last year, I think we settled on Texas, which I think you're actually justified in that because Texas was a little bit of that you know, just steer into the the heart of the storm. I know I'm phrasing it incorrectly and you can correct mm-hmm. me on that, but just one of those teams that you kind of couldn't take your eyes off of, especially with with the Ewers injury and how it played out with with Sark and how all over the place they were. But who's that team this year? That team that you just you want to follow into the depths of hell and just say, you know what, I'm I'm willing to to risk everything to be able to to consume this team, even if it means being really wrong about them.
2: Oh boy, it could also be A M again, but I'm not going to yeah. use A and M. How about I go with Oregon? Mm. Oregon, I think last year, got a little bit of a bad rap. They They got slapped with what I call the recalibration of expectation theory, which is where when you have a new head coach and it's his first year as a head coach, expectations should just never be astronomically high. I believe that. I don't care what roster you inherited. I'm a believer of that. We all know that that's fantasy. And these days, you just get judged in a vacuum, and they they treat you the same, whether you got 10 years of experience or 10 minutes of experience. So Lanning comes in last year. They start off hot. They went and got Bo Nix out of the portal, totally resurrected his career, and they got knocked off in a couple of close games against Utah and Washington, or Oregon State, I think, beat them. So they were really close to being like a playoff team, but instead they kind of faded into postseason obscurity, and then here they are. They come into this year. You know, I've talked to a couple of people up there that said, yeah, we're doing good in the portal. Yeah, we did good in recruiting. We got Bo Nix to stay. He was heavily leaning towards going to the draft, and we got him to stay. That's our biggest win. And then they just sprinkled defensive depth. I mean, they are stacking defensive linemen. And that's something that they're trying to do at Southern Cal. Like, we've got this, this entire conference of quarterbacks out there in the, in the Pac-12. Should be a great conference. Should be a great watch this year. They don't. They've got six teams with preseason win totals of eight and a half or higher. That's more than any conference in America. So there's a lot of pretty good to really good out there, perceptionally. Who's going to be able to get after the quarterback? Well, I think Oregon and Washington are built to do that. And and Utah, to a certain degree, but I like Washington and Oregon even better than them this year. So I pick Oregon because I think Oregon has like the national breakthrough potential in a conference that half of the country is convinced will just never be relevant nationally again. Uh, they may be right in the future, but as for this year, man, I could pick any of those teams. I could pick Washington. I could pick Oregon. I could go. Um, I, I think I can make a solid case for Oregon state, uh, Arizona for different reasons, excites me a little bit, but UCLA, if they start Dante Moore and he gets hot, Like Chip Kelly, I think, has watched the game come to him a little bit and that he hates recruiting, but now he doesn't have to recruit as much because he can just portal kids and NIL kids. And I think the Pac 12 is next year's Big 12. I think anybody could win that thing. And you've got a superstar player at Southern Cal. You got the returning Heisman winner. You got a high profile brand in Lincoln Riley and USC. But elsewhere, the conference is littered with like five or six teams that can knock them off. But Oregon would be my pick.
0: It's crazy to consider what the Pac-12 is talking about with the media negotiations, and thinking about how interesting it could be in this conference for all of those reasons that you mentioned. 100 on board with with Oregon as a, a storm chasing team. Um, you've been showing up a lot in hype videos, too many, if you ask me. Um, yeah. you, we need you to start showing up in the disrespect videos. What that because that's what it's all about these days. I need late late season videos of like Florida state getting ready for the ACC championship and you saying maybe back in August, like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we're just sipping the Kool-Aid a little bit too much on the Noles. We need to get that going. Can, can you make that happen because the hype videos it's great, but it, you know, it's kind of
2: run its course. Let's get the disrespect videos going for you. Well, someone said Georgia was going seven and five last year. Someone did. We still haven't gotten that source on the record, but we I mean, did Georgia players were convinced we did. of it.
0: No, we got it on the record. Oh, did we?
2: Nolan Smith came on this very show
0: and said he made it up. He made it up. He just brought it into existence and said, you know what? Seven and five sounds bad enough. It's worse than what it was like really similar to what Kirby dealt with in year one. And Nolan Smith comes out and he's like, I just made that up. I threw that into existence. He's like, they're going to say we're going seven and five next year. So we have the actual root of where that came from. But are you saying that you may or may not have? but definitely
2: did also say that behind closed doors. Well, I'm saying Nolan Smith should have fallen in the draft for that. That's the first thing I'm saying. The second thing I'm saying is, no, I didn't say that about Georgia, but if you read the comments under any of our shows, people accuse me of being disrespectful all the time. Here's what it sounds like. Uh, For example, let's just say I say something like, I'm not just automatically assuming FSU is going to win the ACC title. Boom. Disrespect. I'm not automatically just assuming that Clemson is back to being vintage Clemson boom, disrespect, like acknowledging the obvious, acknowledging everything in the room that your own coaching staff would acknowledge if they were honest with you. That's disrespect these days. So I would say I am mildly to moderately disrespectful already. And you can just use AI to fill in the rest.
0: Okay, I I think you're 100% right. You got like, what, a 1000 responses for that bold prediction call that you had on Sunday, which how are a thousand people responding to you is I, you must have had at least 200 bots in there. I would hope because that is a lot of people with some bold predictions for this upcoming season. Which which bold prediction do you see in those thousand responses of the non bots? Did you look at and say, I'm going to take as my own. This is mine now. Shout out to Jeremy Jam from Parks and Rec. <laughs> this
2: is my, I love him, man. He is the most underrated character out of all those shows. Like Jer- you just got jammed. Jeremy Jam is a great character. Um, I'll tell you one that that dropped my jaw because I really think the guy meant it. I'm not saying I'm adopting it, but some guy is like adamant that Texas will not make a bowl game. They what? will just miss out entirely. They're 19th in the country in returning production. They don't even have this, this, um, scary situation at quarterback where it's like one guy and then nothing behind them. They don't have they that three. Yeah, dude. It, even if they get hurt at quarterback. So I've got like an all-star cast in the receiving room, even losing Bijan. I think they got really good tailbacks. They've recruited well two years in a row and portaled well two years in a row along both lines of scrimmage. They went to eight wins last year. They're going to miss a bowl game this year. How does that happen? I don't know what world that happens in. So I looked at that and I'm hesitant to give a 10 on the boldness scale, but I gave that a nine and three quarters. That's as close to it. Like I want to set that one and forget that one. There's no way that happens.
0: That that sark storyline of firing him, paying, yeah, I can't remember what the exact bio figures are, but firing him before Texas comes into the SEC and then Texas oh. limping into the SEC. Oh my God. I don't know if our fan base could could handle that here in the SEC, man. That would be. Oh boy.
2: No. Have you noticed have you noticed the sort of reverberations around the conference of all the fan bases talking about Texas and OU coming to the SEC? And they're talking about it in such a condescending tone. And they're talking about it as if to say, you don't know what you're in for. Wait till you see what happens to you. And like, i if you live in Ackworth, Georgia, or you live in Tuscumbia, Alabama, or even if you live in like Johnson City, Tennessee, okay. But man, there's some people in Kentucky talking like that. There's some people over in Mississippi talking like that. And I'm just here to warn you, when Texas and OU get here, the chances are wherever they peg on the ladder is going to be rungs above you. They will not peg themselves below you. And so what happened is just you added some losses and you knocked yourself down the ladder a little bit and you can still chant SEC if you want to. It is not going to be to your benefit. And all that money that spills into the league, you don't see any of it. And so everyone brags about the media deal. Everyone brags about, look at this television network contract right we got. You didn't get it. You, people who wear suits that are worth more than what you make in a week, they get it. You don't get any of that. So all the chest beating about OU and Texas coming into the league, be careful that as you're beating your chest, you don't end up looking up as you're beating your chest because that that negates the whole purpose of chest beating as I understand chest beating. What about Brandon from Tupelo? Should he be talking? Brandon from Tupelo, I think, is exempt in a lot of ways uh, because Brandon from Tupelo has lived a life that is such that he probably has immunity to do whatever he wants to.
0: He definitely has too much immunity. I'll say yeah. that.
2: We'll leave, <laughs> <it> at, <laughs>
0: we'll leave it there. Josh, you're the best. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. Appreciate it, brother.
1: What's my destiny, mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates Forrest. You never know what you're going to get.
0: Figure it out. We're talking breakups. Yeah, we're going to go there. Breakups. Well, I've only had two serious girlfriends in my life, both born on March 15th, 1990. That is true. Wow. You have a type. Definitely. Uh, If you're not born on the Ides of March, the year that I was born, (laughs) get to We don't want you here. Yeah.
1: (laughs) The date Uh, will retire undefeated. Yes, definitely.
0: One was my high school girlfriend, dated for two and a half years, first month into college. And the other was Lauren. So I have never really had an adult breakup. Mm Mm-hmm fair to say that a high school breakup and an adult
1: breakup are two very different things. Very different. Yes, I think so. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons like why I wanted to do this. I've I've talked about it a little bit on here, um, but obviously I went through a breakup uh, two plus months ago. Um, And it's interesting, man, because you're right. Like in high school, it's more about, you know, love and the concept of each other. And um, the more, you know, the more intertwined your lives become. And we talk about marriage, when you talk about kids, you know, our society through kind of like capitalism just makes you intertwine your life with your partner, you know, under one roof and and you got to put someone's name down you got to have emergency contacts. So I think that's why, you know, figuring it out in terms of being an adult is a little bit different because you can't just go, you know, key someone's car. You can't go, you know, do this immature stuff you hear. Cause it's like, you're like, you got all my passwords, bro. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. My first question to Will when he
0: told me was, so what happens with the house? that's, that's like the most adult. I, and I was like embarrassed afterwards. I was like, I shouldn't have sent that text. I should have been like, man, like, Oh, that's that sucks. But like the first thing that I didn't know that I was seeking information about was what happens with the house? Like what, what goes down with all that? Like, is it, is it in urinate? Like, cause I, I legitimately didn't know. And I was, I was interested and I realized, like you said, So many elements of your life are intertwined with someone when Mm -hmm. you're in your late 20s and you're going through that. And it's entirely different than whether or not you're going to fire off a a subtweet about somebody in a given day or like how that's going to impact your group of friends. The, The implications are so significant. And I don't even fully grasp what that means to break up with someone at this stage in life.
1: Yeah. And I think, well, honestly, uh, weirdly, you telling me that made me feel better because the answer is like, it's is my house. Like, there wasn't really like a split at all there. So I was like, you know what? You're looking at the pot. But if it would have been the opposite, i would be like, uh-oh. But yeah, no, I mean, you're totally right. And it's as simple as like, the dynamics of your friend groups, right? I mean, you know, when you add like, you know, the couple element and you have, you know, your two or three or four friends that are all in couples and you guys all do stuff together, well, you've now kind of fallen out of that friend group because you don't want to be the sixth wheel in that group. Um, neighbors are another good example. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're in a neighborhood, right, it's pretty rare to be a single person, period, who owns a house. Um, so a lot of the neighborhood events, a lot of those things, not only do a lot of my neighbors have kids, um, but they also have uh, relationships. And, you know, me and Brady were talking about this uh, as far as... I think that being in a stable relationship uh, is something that allowed me to progress in my career um, because I could relate to executives. I could relate to older people, even if I didn't have kids, even if I wasn't married, because there was a concept of, you know, making your significant other happy or having this partnership that a younger kind of like less mature person couldn't really handle. So I think, you know, I I think it does become part of you. It becomes your identity. Uh, you know, when people meet, met me for a long time, it was us. Will, you know, big relationship guy, been in a four-year relationship. Um, so yeah. And, and, and kind of re, uh, branding yourself too and and how to do that. So, yeah. So it's a thing that you never think you're going to go through probably.
0: And because Mm -hmm. everything is much more now there's a difference between being in a relationship with somebody that you've seen a couple of times versus you've You are living together, you're, you know, going down that road and what that means to not be with that person anymore, right? I think the discussion for today, as we talk about how to break up with someone when you're an adult, I think it's a little bit different to break up with someone over a phone call or something like that when you've seen them twice, right? When I was in high school, or I guess in college, I broke up with my high school girlfriend of two and a half years on a phone call walking through campus. Couldn't be there in person. We're going to put different schools.
1: And I like, shoot some hoops afterward.
0: <laughs> Hit the rec. Center. I, I think I might've actually, that might've, I might've played some basketball right after that. But it, it was, I remember being like, this is, this is a really weird feeling. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of this identity crisis of man, I haven't felt this way and been this unattached is the wrong way to put it. But because I was the one that broke up with her, Mm-hmm. I was the one who could sort of like, like, okay, how is this making me feel in this moment? Not like this bus that's hitting me or something like that. I can kind of be like, all right, do I feel this exhale? And I did in that moment because, I mean, this isn't necessarily specific to my relationship, but when you're in a relationship long distance and you know that both parties aren't happy, which mm-hmm. I think mean, it's fair to say, looking back, we weren't happy that weight of no longer having that burden is tremendous. And if you've ever broken up with someone and you instantly feel like, oh, exhale, I feel so much better. There is something that is like, whoa, life begins now in a different sort of way that Mm -hmm. in so many other elements of life, you really can't get that. And I'm not saying that you should seek that or anything, but it was a very it's a very unique thing to to kind of go through in college, is a, I guess, at a different stage than just breaking up with somebody in high school and having to like
1: see them in the hallway. That's a different yeah. level of awkwardness. Oh, that's hell. I wouldn't wish that on my worst day to be I had to do that.
0: Oh, yeah. High school is maybe the worst place to break up with someone, and college is probably the best.
1: Yeah, true. Cause you could just not see someone or you see them, you know, but you choose to be where you're at, really.
0: Yeah. When you're so. Take me through a high school breakup of what, what, what that conversation is like. And we have some things that we're going to get into with future episodes of the pod that we've, that we've already dug into. Mm -hmm. So you'll hear some more insight on some of those, those topics with Will, but, but a high school breakup, what goes into your mindset of why you want to break up with someone and
1: like, how long do you contemplate a decision like that? It feels like a high school breakup is kind of about convenience, right? It's like, oh, I just kind of don't want to do this anymore. It's like, oh, I kind of, yeah, I have my husband, someone else, I'm going to college is a big one. I tried to make a long term relationship or a long distance relationship work over college. And after a couple of months, I was like, why am I doing this? This isn't convenient. Um, it's not a mature decision making process. It's like, a, oh, like, I just don't want to do this. There's no element of sticking through the hard parts in high school. Is there an element when you break up with someone?
0: Do you unfollow all of their stuff on social media do you remove tags from pictures on Facebook? Do you, do you do like a clean sweep of them as a human being or is that seen as kind of petty and you're just like, all right, this is a part of my life. This happened, this exists. Cause even I feel kind of awkward about that, about like, if I went into the archives you know, 15 years ago when I found pictures of me, like my high school girlfriend on Facebook or something like that. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I shouldn't delete these. These, this is a part of my life This happened, but I guess it's probably also the terms of a breakup can kind of dictate how you feel about them, like seeing their stuff on social media and what's healthy versus what's not.
1: Yeah, no, I think the archive feature on Instagram is really helpful because I kind of went through that too. I was like, because I kind of had to like signal, but without just putting out like a PR release that was like, I am now single. I had like, you know, archived everything but I'm sure if a year or two goes back I'll probably put this stuff up because it's part of my life it's part of you know her life and to your point I think uh untagging on Facebook is the way to do it I wouldn't delete stuff but it's just like this is the group people I was with this is a group of people that used to be significant to me like I always look at trips that I went on with you know Drew Page and my boys and Brittany and have positive memories so I don't want to delete that out of my life just because I'm no longer with that person yeah, I think that's I think that's perfectly fair.
0: All right, let's start with with Drew Page Saturday Night South podcast. <laughs> speaking of the man, yeah. yeah. Speaking of the devil, uh, I asked the questions. Uh, how did you approach uh, your breakup? Face to face, phone call, text, tweet. Hopefully not a tweet. How is your adult breakup different from high school breakup? Did you stay friends with your ex in an adult relationship? How long should you wait before dating someone else? What's an underrated post breakup activity and obviously any horror stories. So let's start with this one from Drew Page. Drew says, when I was 22, I got married and it was a terrible decision. We weren't good for each other or to each other. And it ended with her leaving to stay with her dad her texting me to give it a third try and me telling her, no, we need a divorce, which promptly happened. It all worked out in the end because I've been with my amazing wife for five years now. Well, oh, that's good. The divorce breakup. That should almost be in a different category. Yeah. I can't imagine. And I'm just, hypothetically speaking. I'm not talking about my, my wife who's less than two weeks away from, from having a child or at least allegedly, the idea of splitting up assets in that sort of way, yeah. when you are legally bound to one another, it gives me a headache just thinking about it. Can't yep. begin to imagine. And how that headache, just wanting to avoid that headache for a lesser headache and mm-hmm. how much that impacts people, I sort of now get when you're, when you're young and you're like in middle school or something like that and you hear – People say like, oh yeah, it just would have been, we want to stay together for the kids and blah, 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 and do this and that. And and I sort of get now why you would want to not deal with the hassle and why you would want to just go through the motions, at least for an amount of time, and then make the conscious decision. All right, we've fallen out of love with each other. We need to end this. We need to actually go through the headache of splitting all this up, but willingly taking that on, man,
1: oh, seems like a lot. Well, it's a couple of things right i feel like it is generational i mean i think that you okay this is not normal I don't, I don't know if you know this about me my parents combined for 10 marriages 10 Yep. 10 yep whoa um so marriage used to be you know that it was very quick back in the day it was you're seeing someone for six months you get married and i'm not saying that's normal i'm not saying 10 is a normal number but i think it was a lot more common back in yes i know yeah okay you didn't know this about me i'm watching i didn't Connor know Spence. that ten. yeah so, i know there was so, a few
0: i didn't know it was double digits man that's a yeah.
1: lot so my my stepdad d that i always talk about is my mom's fifth marriage and my dad was her fourth and they were each other's fourth right so they thought it would like kind of work out together uh my dad is actually since remarried and divorced uh so he would have to get six if he is not going to you know be alone uh but yeah so marriage is really serious and I think growing up in that environment um I knew that I wanted I wanted to wait till I was sure about I was with the one before I got married um but I think that back in the day you know like me and me and John and I think Drew as well have talked about you know you you get your uh your mulligan marriage out of the way like you're like 21 22 um you think that's the love of your life you get this like toxic marriage you get it out of your system and that was a lot more common back in the day when marriage was really common um yeah If
0: you go through, the I'm going to make the reference to Ross from Friends. Okay. You go through several marriages or something like that. Eventually, it's got to be really difficult to have people that give you gifts at the wedding. At some point, that sort of is like, man, you're just going to have this toaster end up in the divorce hearing anyways. What
1: are we doing here? Oh yeah, my mom heard all of that too. Especially as a woman, like uh, it's just a little bit, you know. There's some connotations that come with being married, which was never my my mom. My mom was raised Catholic, so her big thing is she didn't want to do stuff out of wedlock. So she'd be like, "I won't do anything with you unless we all get married," which was a bad way to be because everybody wanted to marry her then. So, uh, so yeah, no, I think. I think you're right. And I think when it comes to like splitting up assets and stuff like that, I mean, the the concept of, you know, there's an element of as you get older, you want to make it work and, and work harder to get through things. But I think there is a level of once you know, it's not going to work. A lot of adult relationships stay together for four or five months. I know I probably did because of the fear of taking a list, you know, checking it twice of all the stuff that you own, of all what you got. Okay, well, I got this for you as a present. So even though it was my money, it's yours. Oh, well, what about dude, pets? Think about that. I mean, I got lucky enough to keep, you know, both of our cats. Um, But if they broke up, they would have been sad because they were homies. So, yeah. How do you split a dog in half? I don't know. There's a story in the Bible pretty close to that.
0: True. Good point. Good point. Grant Haney says, when it comes to breaking up as an adult, face-to-face is the only way to go. Any kind of text or tweet just comes across as high school slash college-esque. Although, if logistically it's not possible, then over the phone is an admirable plan B. What about
1: FaceTiming? Is that?
0: Like middle ground here, we're talking. Not that okay. pickup
1: seems like the worst yeah. option. You're just staring at a little box. Like I don't think it's gonna work, man. Yeah, not gonna work.
0: The Zoom it, meeting. Oh, <laughs> let's, let's schedule a Zoom meeting for two thirty on a Wednesday. I have something yeah, I, I got to some, talk to you about.
1: Some stuff I want to talk. We we'll really run through this agenda I got going on. Do you
0: do you have, do you have uh, the premium account though? This might go more than forty minutes. The here. timer
1: pops up as you <laughs> guys are arguing,
0: and you're like, "Wait, I gotta send you a new meeting invite. Hold on, we've just gotten to the kitchen. Let's move on." It's Michael Scott walking down the <laughs> stairs with Andy when he's trying to tell him that Angela's cheating on him.
1: I have run out of time. <laughs> That's absolutely they ever rebooted the modern office. Michael Scott be picking up somebody on Zoom like I don't know where's the next fight. I don't know. Oh god. Unbelievable. All
0: right, Grant also says, at least you're not dumping them on the tarmac after being beat by Arizona State. Ooh, shot's yeah. fired, Lane. However, just be sure you're aware of what events are coming up, like her birthday, Christmas, Valentine's Day, or any other awkward day to break up. You don't Mm -hmm. want to be that guy. Although, if it needs to be done, just treat it like removing a Band-Aid and rip it off in one swift motion. Vintage Harson at Auburn or Petrino at Arkansas. A lot of Petrino references this pod. A whole lot of Petrino. Not that the breakup is taking its course. The best course of action is to channel dudes in movies walking away from an explosion. As they're walking away, they never look back. Ever seen someone look back at an explosion in a movie? Nope. And the explosion slash breakup you're walking away from is no different. And as far as being friends with your ex post breakup, it's like betting on preseason Heisman favorites. (laughs) Friends don't let friends do it. Trademark pending. That's a real one. He knows. While it seems innocent enough, with no possibility of anything bad happening, you wind up being distracted of the more deserving candidates, and a sense of disappointment combined with your friends telling you that
1: they told you it is not worth it. Mm-hmm.
0: Great response.
1: No. This notes. is one of our, my favorite. I want to make a folder of these. I'll probably just start with this one of my favorite comments. We have like a comment hall of fame or something because like that is everything we want. There are inside jokes. There's advice. There's like that's cool. If you're remaining close friends with an ex, ask yourself why. Always this isn't how I met yourself. your mother, brother, okay? Not. You're not Ted Mosby. This, and you're
0: not Robin Shabatsky. all right? Yep. Crush that last name. Definitely yep. would not have been able to remember that at many points over the course of the last 5 years. I think remaining okay acquaintances is the best move. Just the best move. And ideally, you can't control how everybody acts towards you. If somebody's just going to hate you as an ex and they're always just going to hold that against you. All right, whatever. That's water under the bridge. But being like. You could see them and it's not a thing. That's that's the best place to get to. And it took me a long time to get there with my high school ex. Like I'm talking probably mm, like post-college six, seven years where I just didn't want to go down that road in part because I thought she would say, and you're overthinking everything that she's saying. Is she, is she like, is she trolling me with something that she's saying? Is she talking about me behind my back? Is she, like, is it creating this weird dynamic for my friends? And I would like purposely, you know, have things that like I would set up where I wouldn't invite her. Like that's just not a healthy place to be it's just not. And if you can get to that place where you can be a normal acquaintance, just have an adult conversation with your ex that's the goal it's always the goal aspire to have that it's so much more satisfying than just like having this
1: person that you just hate in your life it's just not worth it um i have a different jumping off point on this one so um you know <laughs> he said uh friends do not friends it made me, maybe me think about this so as a friend right let's say that you know you know that a relationship is not going to work, or if you see a person different than you see than your friend does, who's in the relationship. At what point does it become your place to say something? Now, let's say that there's not some smoking gun. Let's say there's not you're cringing already. You're ne- you would never say anything. That's, I don't even know why. That's yeah. But I'm let's never- say there's no. Let's say there's no smoking gun. Let's say you know you didn't see her at Baskin Robbins. You know, locking tongues with somebody that was like something you got to clue your buddy in on. But the sit down, like, hey man, like. Let's talk about this girl. Would you never do that under any circumstances? It has to be really bad. It would,
0: it would have to be really bad and I would have to have that open line of communication. I have I have a friend who's dating somebody that my other friends think is just wrong for him currently. And I don't see I've literally never seen them interact. It's doesn't live close to here or anything like that, so it's it's not something that I see play out. All I hear is hearsay from like one of my what my buddies when my other buddies tell
1: me i would know you're never, saying this so I, I want to ask a follow-up does everyone is this dynamic understood or is it like a secret it's a good question that's
0: a good question i honestly don't know and I, that, that just speaks to how little i know about this relationship yeah. i don't think my friends have confronted him and said you need to break up with her mm-hmm. they have their thoughts right they keep them to themselves because you kind of need to make your own mistakes to a certain extent now when i was in my high school relationship Mm -hmm. a couple buddies who were like man this was maybe she's not right for you it took a buddy eventually saying you probably need to end this for me to want to finally make that move because it's difficult for me to make those big moves you know that about my personality yeah So it took somebody sitting me down and saying that somebody who didn't feel like they were out of line, somebody who I felt like I could trust and have that open line of communication with, but man, it would have to be really bad. And I would have to be really, really tight with that person to voice my opinion and just say, I just wanted you to know that because you can't force them to do anything. You can't force them into a breakup. That's just never, especially if you're talking about adult relationships, I'm going to force a 33 year old man. Out of a relationship it's one thing if it's like just a girl that we met for the first time or something like that. I'm like, yeah, right. she, I don't know. She kind of sucks. Like, I, I'm not even saying that I, I can't yeah. like I, I always try and see the, the the good and try and go in there with knowing how
1: they could potentially react and how defensive somebody can get. Well, you're incredibly Midwest nice as well. And you don't want to be the guy who is like, because once you get it out there, there's no putting the genie back in the box. Like once you tell your buddy that you almost have an intervention in that way, I had that situation with John where he was with a girl forever that I knew it wasn't right for him like he was just basically taking care of this girl and they didn't have anything in common and I was like bro like if you like the person you pick makes so much of a difference and and I'll I'll, I'll say this just really quick too it's like the thing that was crazy about my situation is like all of my friends that like knew her and hung out with her all the time were shocked and like devastated when we broke up and the people that really didn't talk to us too much a ton of people told me like oh well you know I just kind of knew you guys weren't right for each other it's like brother that kills me. Like that's like, all right, man. Like, first off, why weren't did you say anything about that? If you really felt that way, like, get it off your chest. Because I'm the thing about me is I'm real. Like, if you want to tell me that actually, you know, Joe Burrow is a fraud and you have some stats, I'll hear you out. Like, I'll hear you out. And like, so that's like that feels like a little bit cowardly to like come back after the relationship ends. And be like, you know, I knew this was gonna happen. Like, it's like a hedge, you know. But it's only you only
0: feel that way when you agree with what their opinion was. That's the thing. If, you, if it ended up being your your future wife and they had mm-hmm. these thoughts, you probably wouldn't have wanted to hear that. I wouldn't have wanted to hear that. I would have right. gotten defensive about that in that situation. You only felt that way because you ended up agreeing with them.
1: Yes, is what I'm but saying. also they could continue to keep it to themselves at that point and not be like, you know, everyone, we knew. True. It's like, come on, yeah. bro. Like, I didn't know. You didn't know. Shut up. You didn't know anything. Anyway. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I
0: agree with that. Let's end with this one from Austin Foster. Austin says not me personally, but my best friend dated a girl for two years in high school. And they broke up when we went off to college. Is Austin Talking about me. This kind of feels like it. They didn't talk for like three years, but me and her still hung out occasionally. Okay. He's definitely not talking about me. I eventually got us all to come hang out together. And now we're all best friends again. And now we are both considered uncles to her new daughter. Oh, that's nice. It worked out very well. Yeah. When it's, close friends that you're dealing with those dynamics too. And, 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 oh, I don't want to, I don't want to risk our friendship because you know, what if we break up? Yeah. Legit thing you have to consider. Like people talk about that all the time. It is a real thing and you have to decide if it's worth, you know, kind of like pulling the trigger and, and doing something like that. But Cause you do kind of ruin friendships. Like you, you oh, risk yeah. that there's, you can't just go back to this place automatically credit to you. If you can, a lot of people can do that, but it's just not a given. Like you just don't know what sort of feelings are going to be hurt. And the fact that you get to now have a relationship like this time heals all wounds. That's a, that's, that's a good place to be where you can be adult about everything.
1: Yes. Um. Yeah. I, I think you're right. And I think it just depends on the relationship. I mean, if you guys just kind of ended amicably and you thought that, you know, you guys just didn't work out. Maybe you could be good friends. And maybe that's what brought you together is the friend part of it and the, the passion part of it, Um, you know, it doesn't work for you. Um, And then, yeah, a, a, another part of that, too. The thing that's crazy when you're in a couple is that, like, everything that you add into your relationship becomes a liability when it falls apart okay so if you have this great dynamic like my my parents or my sorry my mom and my stepdad you know they work together right they have built a company a big successful company my mom has gotten my stepdad through hard times he's gotten her through hard times and they're bound together in that way so if they were to ever break up that company would fall apart because she runs sales he runs operations they couldn't be i mean it would be the end of it uh, for everything and you know like I, I, it's, it's so interesting when you talk about mixing friend groups, right? It's like, well, you know, Brittany was close with one of my coworkers, you know, they're still friends. And so it's like, you know, you just never know what's being said kind of behind your back. And you hope that, you know, people are being respectful and everything, but yeah, this a good example. Like um, we played, <laughs> I always joke out here about me playing Warcraft. Like I, I was playing Warcraft with her and I'll log in sometimes. She'd be like, oh dang, like this makes me, think of that time. So even if you have something that's yours, you know, even if you have these moments like uh the LSU game against uh, with Joe Barrow against Dan Mullen, where they like won, you know, they beat Florida and started the streak. Like I went to that game with her. And so you have all these moments that if your relationship works out, it's like a victory lap. It's like, look at this cool history of moments that we shared. Look at these things we have in common, look at these partnerships we built. But then whenever it ends, it's those are the things that are hard to get out of, you know? I agree. I agree. It's the reason I, I told I I tell Lauren
0: in hindsight and we, we didn't date while we worked together, but I I tell her we didn't start dating while we worked together for, for a reason. I I didn't want to necessarily go back, like go down that road and all of a sudden like, Oh, what happens if it doesn't work out? And I got to sit next to you. Can you imagine how awkward of an environment that creates? I realize it's different than being friends. It wasn't like we were friends for four or five years before that we had pretty much just met that Mm -hmm. first semester when we're both on the newspaper staff and she's one of my bosses and I'm, you know, sports editor sitting right next to her, but y'all are so cute. You can call it that people could look at that and see that we had some, had that chemistry. We, We had that and that was there, but at the same time, even if you had told me back then in the middle of that, Connor, you need to be dating this girl right now. I still at that time probably would have been like, well, we're working together and right. I don't want to ruin this dynamic, this relationship. Maybe maybe if something happens after this semester, because we we're only working together for a semester, maybe if something happens down the road, okay, that's different, but it's still really difficult to, to factor in all those other things. And especially if you weren't one of those people that lives just entirely in the moment and you're not thinking about the short and long-term implications of this. Mm-hmm. I I am a believer. You got to weigh all those factors. You got to understand it. And, you know, eventually the timing was right for us after we were working together and it worked out the way that it did happen. You know, that sort of, that sort of time frame. but it's not an easy thing to weigh. And th- the friends aspect of what that can mean in your life, ruining some of those, those moments potentially, or at least, I don't know, like making you feel awkward about them. It's not easy. It's just not an easy thing to do.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty, like, especially now, it's like, I'm pretty rigid about, like, okay, you know, never, like, I would never date one of my coworkers while they're my coworker, to your point, I would never, um, you know, date one of my friends, and honestly, I mean, having like a like a one-time thing almost with a friend is smarter than dating them but <laughs> like as weird as that sounds it sounds like it's the opposite but it's like once you open the door to a real trusting next level relationship with someone you you can't go back you can't put that you know so um so point being like then you get a fractured friend group when you start with friends. so that's like something I've never really done is like you know I've had you know back in school or whatever it's a little different because everybody kind of knows each other but I, it's always been, you know, my friends bring someone into the group that they are then dating and we now meet them as their girlfriend because, you know, when you split that down the middle, even among, you know, your friends and their wives or yeah, your core group. And then it's, yeah. you know, yeah, like there's always going to be sides of a breakup, no matter what it is, you know, even if it's an amicable breakup, it's like, well, this doesn't seem amicable from this person's point of view. Why aren't they mad? And so, yeah, I think I'm a big believer in like, don't really, um, you know, eat where you poo. Yeah. <laughs> Let's end with that. Uh, lad and last of the week. I got
0: obvious one. Tennessee Titans social media team. I'm assuming we got some lasses. I'm assuming we got some lads. Mm-hmm. The best, unquestioned, goat schedule release ever, ever. If you okay, now hold on. It's the Chargers one won last year. Come no, on. No, no, no. It is number one, and I understand the production value. They the Chargers. The, the anime thing was incredible. It's really cool. I laughed so hard watching that Titan schedule release. It so, so well done. So low maintenance to do that, to think that they just went out on Broadway. If you haven't seen it, you don't know what I'm talking about. Go watch it. Even describing it doesn't sound as laugh out loud funny as it was to actually watch these people try and guess these mascots. And when they guess the Colts, I guess like Dallas Cowboys, they're so confident that it's boom. Here's the Colts. Yeah. I mean, Chester Cheeto, come on. If that's not your fantasy
1: football team name, it should be. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best schedule release. I think has gotten to that point. Like there are ebbs and flows of hype of stuff. I think schedule release has gotten to a point, which is a little bit overrated for the social game. There were like two different things where like, uh, Two different teams did like the same thing this year, which is really weird. Like the Saints and the Jaguars both did the scriptwriter thing. And the Falcons and the Rams both did the record the screen and like organically go through your TikTok and have that introduce it. Um, I work in social content, so I'm a little bit of a nerd about this stuff. The- <laughs> I'm just being such a hater right now. That, the Titans one, is kind of a spoof of an existing TikTok thing that was this guy would walk up to his dad. He was like this uh, I don't want to misidentify someone's Italian, but he seemed like an Italian New Yorker guy and they would ask him and it was the same kind of music. It was the exact same format, but I think the way that they did it was just so much better executed. I, I personally, I said, I love the chargers uh, anime when, but they did it again. It was still great, but they did it again. So this was like kind of a dud. So, um, you know, you guys, And the NFL needs some ideas, you know, (laughs) get your boy up. I can come up with some cool social content for you. We're doing cool, fun, new stuff. So, Um, but yeah, do you think, I'm I'm not being a hater. Schedule released a little bit of a dud this year. I think that one was good. I really do. But that was almost, that one in the Chargers one, which was a redo, were kind of the tier by themselves, I feel.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I, I actually thought the Bears was pretty, pretty enjoyable for the most part of like, oh, you're coming into, you know coming into a restaurant and you're asking for specific foods and you are kind mm-hmm. of like turning them away i, I thought it was pretty good Tr- treat for what it is it's the middle of may people it's the middle of may it's the middle of may get something on this app that doesn't totally suck and i'm here for it
1: that's that's kind of all i asked for yes um taking a little bit of a different direction with lad of the week um i sent this to you and i think we both like just thought about it for like a smooth 30 minutes uh so i don't know if you've heard about this but or I, I know you have, because we've talked about it, but y'all out there, I don't know if y'all heard about this, but um, Bo Jackson has been suffering from hiccups for over a year. Um, and he, go ahead. Matt, so shout out to, to
0: Mac and Cube, said it on there. This this revelation is something I I can't stop thinking about. I, I, I cannot stop thinking
1: about what it would be like to have hiccups for a year. Continue, sorry, I interrupted. No, yeah, good, good shout out. You're absolutely right. That was on... Um, yeah, it was just all SEC cast talking about that. It was a good note. But um yeah, I mean it's one of those things where you kind of see this the headline, you're like, oh, like aha hiccup straight. And then you, as we both immediately did, start to really think about being, you know, living your life, being in Zoom meetings, you know, having intimate moments with your wife, you know, do it doing whatever you're gonna do in your life and just having hiccups and also being Bo Jackson, being like one, maybe the greatest athlete that's been in the modern era, and having this expectation people have of you that you're a superhero, like you know Chuck Norris or something, and they meet you, and you just can't stop hiccuping and it's gotta hurt, it's gotta be embarrassing, it's gotta be frustrating, and I just he's you know they're trying to see if he can get a surgery to reverse it, but this is a guy, Bro Jackson, that you know it's it's a uh, it's like a. He's given great natural talents, but he's had really bad luck and it just sucks and stuff's just, you know, bad stuff has happened to him. So glad of the week in a speedy recovery way, the fact that he was just able to deal with this for a year and just be like, all right, I'm done. Like, you know, waking up every day and hoping you don't have hiccups, just continuing to have hiccups going to be horrible. Man sniffed a porcupine's butt to try and get through this. He's
0: thought of everything at this point. I mm, Man, I, I posed the question... And, and, uh, and one of the groups that I'm part of, like a, would you rather, would you rather have hiccups every day for a year or feel like you're going to
1: fall with every step that you take? Oh God. That is how I, I, okay. I feel like I'd take a hiccups there because have you seen that TikTok filter that makes people fall? No. It like, traces them and it shows them falling with like every frame of the video. So like you would see my whole silhouette like falling, falling, falling. And you give it to people who are standing and they just watch themselves falling and they just fall. And like when you start to see yourself falling, you just fall. That Like that could kill you. I don't know if hiccups could kill you. Oh, I, I'm sure there are lots of uh, like like recoil type stuff. But I'm sure his organs are going through it right now. But it's just I guess it sucks because it's like you hear it and you're like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then you think for five seconds, you're like, uh oh.
0: You know, it's actually incredible too the fact that Bo Jackson, as far as I know, this was the first that he, when he went on Mac and cube, they were at, they had a golf event in burn. Yeah. They had a golf event in Birmingham. I want to say last week, mm-hmm. where in this, like all came to light. The fact that he hasn't like gone out there and tweeted at some point or posted on social media, just a cry for help that he mm-hmm. waited as long as he did to decide. Yeah. I'm actually out of answers. I, even I, Bo Jackson, who is unbelievably tough, cannot deal with this anymore. I'm seeking any sort of solution. And I wonder how many people just gave him the most dumb, basic solution ever of like, oh, have someone scare you. Oh, hold your breath for three seconds. Like, dude has had this for a year. I promise that was knocked out hour one. Okay. He took the entire tablespoon of peanut butter hour one. All right. You're not breaking any news by telling him to do that. This is beyond that. This is Bo Jackson. What he is dealing with is beyond human comprehension because everything about Bo Jackson is beyond human comprehension.
1: I'm obsessed with the thought of exactly what you're saying, where like he's so famous in public, and everybody, especially in Alabama, knows his name. He's like, This fixture he's doing all these events. It's like so many people have met Bo Jackson with the hiccups, but not uh, uh uh congruently enough to realize that he always has the hiccups and i'm sure you hadn't told anybody i'm sure everyone who's met Mo Jackson in the last years was like hey the hiccups whatever and to finally just be like dude everyone who meets me gets me with the hiccups
0: that sucks like uh he's kind of a quiet guy he's like a little bit reserved you almost feel like he didn't want to speak or something yeah because he's had the hiccups for a year we get it we understand
1: so how far in would you start to panic of your hiccup oh sl- overnight if i wake up with the hiccups
0: overnight
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We're we're hitting the doctor. We're we're getting real desperate. That's if that happens to me over the course of a weekend, Will, we're we're seeking any option. Any option. That porcupine's butt would have been sniffed three, four days. And we're in Florida. We can get a hold of that. Would There's no find- way.
1: We have the resources. Yeah, I think that, you know, one theme of this podcast is, you know, sometimes being a big baby is great. And I think that that's the situation that you would have not gotten to near a year. You would have been like, you know, like me, I probably make it three or four days. You overnight, you're in a better place probably than Bo Jackson after just being a, a, a manly man and just trying to deal with it and try to hope it, hope it gets better. Yeah. If you tell me after three or four days that I have to tickle
0: an alligator to get rid of my hiccups, you better believe that alligator's getting tickled. We're, we're we're doing whatever it takes at that point that i cannot live life that way there's just mm-hmm. no way actually your life year of your life that you're just not getting back brutal hopefully bo's doing well hopefully he gets rid of hiccups very very soon if you have not give us a five-star review if subscribe to this podcast follow us on twitter at the Pod at CG garrett at personal hard join the facebook group hear your name red on figuring out or golden brush thanks guys talk soon